You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai. Welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. We are back. We are live. We are back from vacation. We are, I don't know what we are. I am. I am. We are two dudes on a motorcycle, facial hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just want to know who's on the back, who's on the front, who's driving this uh, machine here. <laughs> I guess it depends on the day. Yes, it does. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so we are back. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be talking to Will again. We had a week off from each other. It was uh, the heart grew fond of missing the uh, GGTMC talk. Yes. You get so used. It's so weird. Sometimes you want that week off, and then you don't do the show, and you miss it. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, it's very strange. So uh, this week we're covering, um, well, to say the least, uh, two very different films: uh, Deadly Prey, by, directed by Dave, David Pryor from 1987. And uh, The Cynic, The Rat, and The Fist from 1977, directed by Umberto Lindsay, who I believe... Is this the first time Lindsay's been on our show? It might very well be, and and that's really surprising since we're both fans. I mean, I know it's not the last time because he's got a few other films of his on our roadmap. Oh, it certainly will not be the last time. No. We might talk Nightmare City just for the fuck of it. I love Nightmare City. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So, if any of you haven't seen Nightmare City, please check it out. But uh, some other stuff by Lindsay, too. As long as we stay away from the cannibal films, I'm not a fan of. So He, he directed a film I'd never heard of until I looked at his filmography called Fatty Girl Goes to New York. Chicha Bomba. <laughs> nice. I got to see that. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a top secret one in there that we're going to be covering from my side that uh, I don't want to mention on the air. But we'll, we'll get around to it. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's uh, kind of get into what we've been up to. Uh, Will, uh, you want to talk about what you've been up to, what you've seen, what you've done? Yes. Um, I told you that I was going to watch. I, I, I was intentionally going to get away from movies. I was going to be on vacation in the Bahamas. Um, and what I decided, actually, Sammy, was I was going to avoid movies for the most part. I didn't, didn't want to watch any in the room. Didn't want to watch it on the plane. I thought, I'm going to read, and I'm just going to relax and kind of take this week off because I spent so much time... Uh, with this obsession of film that, you know, I figured it would do me some good to get away from it for a week. So um, I didn't watch a lot when I was away, but I've kind of made up for it with lost time. I do want to say I've been reading a fantastic book called McMafia, uh, just about the business of organized crime and how the fall of uh, communism has propelled a lot of Eastern European countries to the forefront. Uh, so if anyone wants to check that out, it's a very interesting book. Nice. Um, bought that right at the airport and, and tore into it. Good, good, good stuff. Um, in terms of what I've watched, though, since we last spoke, uh, I watched the Jim Sheridan film Brothers um, with okay. uh, Toby Maguire and uh, I was going to say Jim Caviezel. Um, <laughs> jo- jo- no. Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. There it is. Uh, good film. Uh, I think that Sheridan does these um, conventional, so to speak, dramas really, really well. Yeah. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, I watched Nell the Bloody Avenger, which is a George Eastman <laughs> starring uh, Eurocrime film. And this film is it's pretty boring, but there's one scene at the beginning <laughs> that I think uh, especially the Het needs to see. Because Eastman lands in the airport uh, in Philadelphia, 
or New York, I think they say, actually. But for some inexplicable reason, the gangsters that show up at the airport to assassinate him, there's about 12 of them, all wearing Jason hockey masks <laughs> and Philadelphia Flyer winter hats from the 70s with the pom-pom on top. Oh, nice. <laughs> and they're all trying to gun him down. He, of course, mows them down with his handgun and ba-ba-ba-ba. Not a very good movie. It's got palance. There's, it, it's worth, it got a few moments, though. Yeah, I'll check it out at some point. Uh, I watched Clash of the Titans. Uh, in 3D. Uh, the 3D was non-existent, but I will say this, contrary to what everyone else is saying, I fucking love this film. Nice. Everything I expected, I wasn't hung up on the old one. Listen, I mean, I've said to people, a lot of times we get too nostalgic about stuff, and I'm guilty of it, but um, come on, I mean, Harry Hamlin's no, I mean, he, you know, it's just to get hung up with that, and I understand Harry Harryhausen, you know, and the special effects, but this one's a lot of fun, man. I mean, it's got uh, Jenna Archerton, who's in my top five favorite females now. I mean, she's just I, I literally breathtaking. In this film, she looks like a hotter Phoebe Cates. Oh, a hotter Phoebe Cates? Whoa, man. A hotter Phoebe Cates in her prime <laughs> in this film. Uh, it's Worthington's fine. I mean, he's just, you know, he's he's generic, but that's fine. It's got Mads Mikkelsen. Um, Medusa looks fantastic. The Scorpion battle's fantastic. Uh, it's got some scenery chewing from Neeson and Fines. I mean, it's it's if you go in, it, listen, it's not a mammoth script. Big deal. We know that. It's, you know, you know what you're going to get. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. Can you imagine uh, if it was a mammoth script? Oh wow! What a da, 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 da. rat-a-tat-tat with uh, yeah, Worthington really. and Mickelson. Be amazing. It would be. Um, I watched Wrong Side of Town, which was actually a recommend from Cody. Uh, it's the the current action film starring Batista, RVD, uh, and a few others. Like I told you, it's it's fun. Um, Batista definitely needs to be doing more action films. I mean, he's magnetic magnetic in it. Um, RVD comes across as a washed-up stoner, which he kind of is, so <laughs> I guess that's fitting. Um, I watched an incredible, incredible action film that is maybe the most appropriately titled one ever. It's called Action USA. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen that. Buddy, it is fantastic. It, it's, it's all stuntmen that did it. This, is to, this film is to stunts. <laughs> what uh, Hilliki's Gone in 60 Seconds is to Cars. I think I have seen that. I'm looking it up now while you're talking. Go ahead. It is incredible. There's a few stunts where you would think they use a dummy, but they didn't use a dummy. They used a real man. Like, <laughs> so you're saying somebody insane. else was a dummy. The, the, pardon me? Somebody else was the dummy. Okay, Action oh, yeah. USA. Uh, who is in this? No one, really. Oh, Cameron Mitchell's in it in a Whoa, small part. Bill, Bill Smith's in it. William Smith. Oh, yeah. Well, William Smith plays uh, CIA, uh, the head of the CIA or something. That's right. Um, I think I have seen this because I've seen an, a rather unusual amount of Cameron Mitchell films, which I realized that after watching Deadly Prey this week, that I've seen this guy. I've seen so much of this guy's shit. It's amazing. Oh, wow. But this movie is a high recommend. I've never seen so many cars driven through houses, even in Australian films. Nice. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Might have to put, that uh, in, uh, put this onto the queue at some point in time for us. Oh, yeah. No, it, it is worth... It's definitely worth us uh, reviewing. Um, I decided to rewatch Fallen Angels, the Wong Kar Wai film, just because I'd watched a lot of, <laughs> you know, kind of trashier, rompy stuff. Um, I hadn't watched it in, in probably a couple years, so decided to revisit it. It holds up very, very well. You know, Wong Kar Wai is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, uh, I watched... I rewatched Fondo Elise, the uh, Jodorowsky film. Ah, yes. Um, I hadn't seen this since I bought the since my mother actually bought me the Jodorowsky gift set three years ago or the box set three years ago. Last time I saw it was on VHS uh, on a really shitty. Or no, no, it was a transfer, a rip of a, a shitty VHS or I can't remember something like that. But anyway, I watched it again. I love it. It's 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 got flaws. Um, it meanders a bit, but fantastic film with a lot of uh, 
flourishes of Jodorowsky that you know uh, I really enjoy. Uh, and I decided also, uh, I think on the the recommendation of Eskimo and, and Mike, I watched Glimmer Man last night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Keenan gets saddled with some atrocious dialogue. I mean, he they really it's like they had something out for him because you know you get to see Seagal rolling around with these fucking. He is to uh, to Tibetan beads what Flavor Flav is to large clocks. Wow, you know it's it. it but you know what? I got to say, there's there's one stunt with a uh, an explosion in an apartment building that is really impressive. Um, got some good violence. The script is, like I said, terrible. Again, that's not really the point, but um, I would recommend it. I think this film has gotten unfairly panned. I mean, Seagal isn't quite as good as he was, say, seven years earlier in his early stuff, but it's enjoyable and not the the shit fest that everyone makes it out to be. So, nice. thanks, guys, who recommended it to me. Sweet. Is that everything? That is everything. Nice. Still a good week. Um, oddly, in the world that is such a small world that is movies, the guy that directed Action USA did the stunts for Hard Rock Zombies, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, <laughs> uh, Death Spa, of all things, and uh, yeah, and Survival Quest and some other stuff. He's actually in Percy Jackson and the Olympians. My wife just got that, actually. <laughs> and 2012. Evidently, there's a documentary about this guy. He directed a few films uh, uh, and 14 episodes of Power Rangers. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't do any research on it. I've been meaning to see Action USA forever since I saw it on, um, what is it, CritCon Online, a critical, uh, yeah. I can't remember the name of the site. It's got all the fantastic VHS reviews, but I saw the cover of, and it's called just Action USA, and I thought, wow, this one's pretty <laughs> this cra- one sings to me. Yeah, pretty crazy if you look at his stunt filmography, his stunt work. He's done 41 films as a stunt coordinator, and uh, wow, a lot of uh, genres all over the place. Amazing stuff in there. I'm not going to go through them all. Wow, there's a lot of crazy stuff in there. Anyway, interesting. All right, so uh, what I watched. I said I watched a lot, but I didn't really watch a whole lot, but well, one thing I did watch took up a lot of time, so... Uh, I watched The Entity. That's the uh, Barbara Hershey uh, raped by non-scene demon type thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I watched it. It was on uh, Netflix Instant. I felt like watching something, and that came up, and so I watched that. So, kind Sorry, of, what, is, what was that? The Entity. The uh, It's where Barbara Hershey gets raped by a demon. Oh, yes. How yes. could I forget? <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, but it also has Ron Silver in it, to mention, a uh, voicemail that we have later. Long Ron Silver, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty good. I still enjoy it. I mean, it's kind of it's very silly, and it's one of those movies where you watch it now in hindsight and think, "How the hell did this ever get made?" Yeah. Uh, so it's very bizarre. Uh, I watched a movie called uh, that will be covered on the show at one point in time called Alien Private Eye. Oh yes, you but, told me how fantastic <laughs> this one was. This one will be moved up the queue pretty quick. I would say probably after listener appreciation, or maybe if we can get another one in between now and, and that show, they might moved up because I got to talk to somebody about this thing. <laughs> It's pretty fucking amazing. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into details. We'll get around to it because I'm sure we'll cover it on the show. Uh, I watched another 30 for 30s. Uh, I watched The Guru of Go. That's the Paul Westfall, I think is his name. Oh, nice. Yeah, he was, uh, I think he played for Denver, didn't he, back in the day? Yeah, yeah. And he coached uh, the Lakers to their first championship. Oh, I'm thinking of, uh, you know what I'm thinking of? Westfall coached in Denver. I'm thinking of... Uh, Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm cutting you off. Just, yeah. just run. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Loyola Marymount team. You know, when Hank Gathers passed away on the court and stuff like that, he was the coach of that team, and and just uh, good stuff. You know, talking about his system and how he's actually a Shakespearean trained uh, actor and teacher, and he kind of uses Shakespeare for his coaching techniques. Pretty interesting stuff, actually. 
do you know, Sammy, if these are going to be released on DVD ever? Or? Uh, I don't know, but I hope so. Uh, because some of them are really good. Uh, some of them are not so good, but some of them are really good. This is actually a really good one, and I didn't expect this one to be good. Is Bo Kimball featured in it? Uh, yes, Bo Kimball's in it quite a bit. Oh, nice, because I know when uh, Gathers passed, him and him and Gathers were really good friends, and he kind of went he went off in the tournament that year. Mm, yep, yep, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I watched uh, Mega Piranha. <laughs> this is <laughs> Barry Williams and Tiffany <laughs> and wow. the gigantic tar- uh, piranha. Uh yeah, it's exactly what you think it would be. I mean, it's nothing. It's nothing beyond what you think it is. It's an asylum movie. It's uh, it's fun for what it is. Uh, the director, oddly, must have been inspired by Tony Scott. That's the worst thing about it is, is like that he's like this ripoff thing of Tony Scott, and it just shows you for me. It just shows me how good Tony Scott is at what he does because this guy does not do it well. <laughs> wow. Because this is really rough. Um, I watched. Uh, Oh, and I watched uh, the Edge of Darkness series. I watched all six hours of the Edge of Darkness series. And, uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I got one more on here, too. I watched, uh, yeah, that. And it, it's really, really fucking good, man. Uh, Joe Don Baker is really, really fucking outstanding in it and stuff. So I recommend everybody, if you can get a hold of that, get a hold of it in some way, shape, or form. It's really, really fucking good show. And, uh, well, I have to say, though, if, if you didn't like the the scenes where Mel Gibson were, was kind of talking to his daughter after she had been uh, killed, and that's not a spoiler because that's what the fucking movie's all based on. Um, uh, you might not like this one because I mean, there's a lot of talking to the daughter. I but- just found it kind of handled clumsily. Mm-hmm. Um, I understood it, you know, in his connection with her. I just thought it was a bit clunky, but yeah, I'll, I'll still watch it. I mean, if it's as good as everyone says it is, fuck. I mean, I'm willing to overlook that. Well, you'll you'll watch the series. Uh, I will recommend you watch the series alone for Joe Don Baker, who plays uh, Darius Jedberg. and uh, it's an outstanding performance by one Joe Don Baker. I think we forget sometimes how good an actor. And a presence that Joe Don Baker is. I love me some Joe Don. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that he is. I'm trying to think of like you know we just talked about Solomon Burke actually for, for the soundtrack for Cool Breeze Off the Air. He's like the Solomon Burke of the GGTMC in that he is so incredible at what he does, but he, he just doesn't seem to get the love from us, man. And I do love him. I just I, we got to get more Joe Don on the show, man. Yeah, now, I love the way he talks. The way he talks to people and and films and and stuff he does is so natural. Uh-huh. It's like, how you doing there, buddy? That was my Joe Don Baker. Yeah, no, that was good, man. That was good. I, I kind of, I like that. <laughs> and uh, okay, so I also watched uh, Taxidermia from uh, Yorgi. What's his name? Yorgi. Yeah. So, well, whatever. Either case, man, this guy is a super talented filmmaker. This film repulsed and uh, charmed me and did everything else. I mean, it's it's an amazing piece of film. It really is. I say, if I would have saw this the year it came out, I would have put it in my top ten for that year. Easy. Wow. So you really definitely got to check it out. But be prepared and be warned that there's something in it that will offend anybody. There, when I, I'm, I'm saying, well, I should say there's something in it for everybody that will somebody will find offensive is what I should say. There's no way you'll get through this thing without finding something in it terribly offensive to you. <laughs> wow. I mean, he just he hits everything. So pretty amazing piece, though. I, I recommend everybody check it out, especially if you're in here in the States and you got Netflix instance. So it's to watch. It's on there. Check it out, uh, but be prepared and don't have any children nearby at all. <laughs> yeah, fuck. I've had this thing on DVD. I was telling you something for a while, but the DVD I have has no English subtitles, so I just I gotta get a fucking English. I wish I had Netflix, man. Yeah, I'll see if I can uh, find a way for you to find a copy of it somehow. Mm, I like the sound of that. That's good stuff. Um, also, and finally, and finally, uh, blah blah blah. I said finally twice, so that must be a really final finally. <laughs> <laughs> Darius Jedberg. Uh, 
I watched. Uh, I saw Kick Ass. Oh, I saw Kick Ass this weekend, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really, really liked it a whole lot. Uh, I think you know, as as far as you know, the the year is young. It's definitely the best movie I've seen this year for movies that released in 2010, and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. It's going to offend some people. It's going to turn some people off. Uh, but I, I really think it's a, it's a pretty amazing that this film got made and, uh, it does, it does deviate a little bit from the source material and stuff, but, uh, pretty good stuff, man. I mean, it really is, uh, it's unique and, uh, it's interesting that, uh, we've reached that point in a very short amount of time, I would say maybe in 10, 15 years where we have become, you know, the, where we comment on these big comic book movies that the comic books are commenting on themselves. I mean, they've been doing it in comics for a while, but that the that a film came out it's kind of sad that it didn't make that much money i kind of thought it would make more money this past weekend but a lot of people didn't see it but you know it is a radar movie and it, it's a pretty hard r it's not a it's not a light r isn't uh, i think i might go see it tonight with my father if my schedule permits but um it'll make its money back on dvd what did it cost about 35 million to make i think that vaughn raised the money himself is that yeah. what it was yeah it didn't cost a whole lot to make so, so. it'll make its money back yeah so when you consider that and what you see it's pretty impressive i mean uh, it really looks like it's a, a almost a 200 million dollar movie in a lot of ways and um it, it's pretty good man and uh you know vaughn it's it's he's definitely a good filmmaker really some good stuff and fucking i have to say nicholas cage man he makes the oddest choices he's always been that way and that's probably why i like him so much but he <laughs> he decides to play, and this is not a spoiler. I just got to tell you this because I think it's great. He decides to play Big Daddy as uh, as Adam West. Oh wow! <laughs> it's fucking it's fucking genius, man. <laughs> and it's spot on. It's spot on. It's like, oh, you're ass kick. Come see me at the. You know, it's almost like a Shatner slash Adam West performance. Does he wear the uh, the West colored uh, prescription glasses? <laughs> No, he doesn't go with the rose tinted glasses and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's an ama- it's a pretty amazing film. I I don't know if it's you know, uh, you know, a great film or not. I need some time to pontificate upon it. But but I think it's really, really, really solid. And it's definitely the best film I've seen this year. And I know I can understand some people going to see it and not being in, you know because it might have been overhyped for them, so they might not they might not be too overwhelmed by it. I know Rupert didn't care for it that much. I know Bill didn't like it that much. He thought it was okay, but he didn't think it was all that. You know, big a deal, but uh, yeah, it's pretty good stuff, man. And uh, I think that's everything I watched for this week. It is blah, very blah, blah. good, and I do want to say, and this is going to piss Jay off to no end, just on a somewhat related note. I got to say, man, the trailer for Scott Adkins is it Scott Ad- no, Scott, yeah, Scott Adkins versus the world. Uh, nice. Scott, I wish, I wish uh, Scott. Uh, what is it, uh, Scott Pilgrim? Pilgrim versus the world. I got to say, I wasn't that. I was a little underwhelmed with the trailer, to be honest with you. Well, the only reason why I'm going to see that movie anyway is is Edgar Wright. It's definitely not Michael Sarah, oh, yeah. who me and Miles have talked about this. That uh, you know, it, it's a geek fest. Yes, I mean, uh, do I like Scott Pilgrim? Yes, I do. But I mean, I'm 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 done with. I'm, I've been done with him for a while, but I'm totally done with Michael Sarah. I, I really don't think I'll watch any movies he's in anymore. I'm, I'm totally completely done with him. Yeah, I mean, I love Edgar Wright too, um, and it's it's Toronto based, so I'm totally down. I'll support it. Um, I didn't think it looked bad. I just thought that you know everyone was like, "Oh my god," <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh really? Okay, well, we'll see." But uh, yeah, yeah, all right. Just, it looks okay. I mean, I think me and Miles talked about this on Twitter quite a bit. That I just think you know Michael Sarah might not have been the right choice, but at the time, I think they cast him. He was still pretty hot, right? So you know. Stuff like year one and that kind of stuff hadn't came out yet, so 
Yeah, yeah. But I've been done with um, him for a while, so. Yep, that's see. it. <laughs> okay. okay. No, sorry. I'm just thinking about, I got to bring up some of our announcements. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. We're going to make some a uh, couple announcements here. So I'll let, go, let you go ahead and do that. So. Okay. So we got two big announcements. May is rapidly approaching. And May is becoming an annual tradition for us to be Ladies Appreciation Month. Now, our dear, beautiful mothers hold the two slots uh, that coincide with the quote-unquote Mother's Day week. Uh, but other than that, we have six slots remaining. And of those six slots, the first six female listeners to call or write in their choices for us to cover can be anything you want, uh, preferably not Victorian era. Um, <laughs> we will cover it on the show. So that's that. That's out of the way. Get those in quick. Um, hopefully we can get those. The sooner you get them in, the sooner we can cover the films. Um, second thing, and this is big news, big news. Uh, two or three weeks ago, I teased on my Facebook page that uh, I prayed to the action movie gods that we were going to be able to secure an interview. Uh, and we've secured that interview. Uh, this time next week, we will have interviewed a god among men, Indonesian action superstar Peter O'Brien, the stabilizer himself, <laughs> Rambu himself, will be on the GGTMC next week. Nice, nice. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be it's That's, gonna be excellent. It's gonna be interesting, to say the least. I'm looking trying to look for him up on uh, IMDb and I can't find. Oh, there he is. <laughs> there's yes. old, there's old Peter. And he's, right. he's a New Zealander. So for those of you that didn't know that, he's from New Zealand. Um, so he was dubbed obviously by some square jawed hunk in all of the uh, Indonesian films. Yeah, we just gotta get some logistics worked out and stuff, but we should be able to. Uh, do that shouldn't be an issue it's gonna be great i can't wait man it'd be excellent all right so that is everything there and now we're gonna go over here which is uh our first review so we're gonna take a break real quick and when we come back we're gonna talk about um let's talk about the cynic the rat and the fist real quick first let's do it all right we'll be back right after this are you still looking for that special someone? Have other dating websites let you down? Hi, I'm Craig Fritz Rualdo, host of LoveFinder.com, telling you to listen to Showshow at showshow.podomatic.com. Too many websites all in one sentence? You betcha. But Showshow is a podcast about movies for people like you who don't know what love is. Listen to Showshow every week at showshow.podomatic.com or search Showshow, all one word, in the iTunes store. guitar there to get us going for this uh, review of the Cinecrat and the Fist so <laughs> that's good stuff yeah yeah actually probably planned it probably would have went in better with the Deadly Prey review to play that one but oh well 
That's okay. Either way, it works. All right. So uh, the cynic rat, the rat in the fist. You want to talk a little bit about uh, synopsis and you know why you chose it, and maybe we'll get going on it here. Yes, let's talk about Il Cinico L'Infame Il Violento, <laughs> the, uh, from the great Umberto Lenzi. Yes. Uh, so this is, of course, The Cynic, The Rat and the Fist. It is uh, starring, there's no plot synopsis, it's a, it's a Eurocrime film, a Polizia film uh, starring Maurizio Merli, John Saxon, Tomas Milian, and uh, in a smaller role, one of my favorites, Renzo Palmer. Um, it's kind of a, a Yojimbo-ish Thing with more polyester and chest hair, uh, really, <laughs> and, I mean, and gold <laughs> necklaces. Yes, <laughs> yes, and, and a great mustache on the Saxon. Well, and John, so. yeah, and John Saxon. Who, if John Saxon's in a movie in the seventies, you can goddamn guarantee he's going to have a turtleneck on. Oh yeah, he loved to rock the, the <laughs> turtleneck. But uh, yeah, uh, that's the film. Now, the reason this was picked was back in December or November. I'd said that anyone who did anything nice uh, around Christmas time, and we should do things nice all the time. But that's another story. Another, another time. Uh, yeah. I said anyone who did that would they could pick a film or a couple films for the show um, that I'd spread out over the course of this year. And the time has come to pay the piper. I wanted to get these going so people didn't think I was a lying jerk. Yeah. So uh, this is this was actually a film that Piccolo had picked for us, uh, and that's why it was picked. So uh, Piccolo picked it through me. What did you think? All right, so this is Umberto Lindsay, and I do believe, I'm looking at his uh, filmography, I do believe this is the first in Umberto Lindsay uh, appearance on the GGTMC. That's incredible, you know, he's so, uh, you know, revered uh, in genre, stuff that we love, and it's the first one, here we are, what, 78, 79 episodes in? Yeah, I know, it's pretty amazing, I'm looking at his filmography, and I can't find anything. I see a lot of stuff in here we've talked about, Mm -hmm. but I don't see anything in here we've actually done, so pretty amazing. Uh, but anyway, all right, to, to get on uh, track here. So to me, this is kind of a, a really good example of the genre, maybe a good maybe a good opener for some people uh, who aren't familiar with the genre because it kind of just gets going right from the get-go. You heard the intro music that we played for the intro of the show this week. That's actually a piece of music called Running to the Airport by uh, Franco Michelizzi. Michelizzi. And uh, they, really, they really harp on that theme in this film. It's the main theme to this film. Although I don't think they run to the airport ever in this movie. But uh, they run everywhere else. But uh, it seems like they avoid the airport. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, they keep revisiting this theme and stuff. So this to me is, a, you know, it's got that great opening where, you know, crime is rampant. Some crazy stuff's going on. You got the music going on and and stuff and pretty good stuff. And then, we you know, we get the appearance of uh, Maurizio Murley, who is actually, this is the first time he's been on the GGTMC. <laughs> Yeah, and let me just say, Sammy, right right off the front here, anyone who knows, you know, because you and I talk about it a lot, Merrily is, is pretty much, he's considered by a lot of people like the, the god of, of of these films because yep. he always plays kind of like uh, the super cop, as, or as Mike Malloy said, Robocop. Yeah, he, and, is, you know, he is a super cop. There's no doubt about that. The thing with him is I should like him. I mean, he's Robocop with more polyester and better mustache, yet for some <laughs> reason, I just... It's like a really hot chick that kind of leaves you cold. You don't know why inexplicably. And that's yeah. what Merrily is for me. I find a lot of his films just wash, rinse, repeat. And, and that's unfortunate. But, I mean, yeah, for a lot of other people, I mean, I'm really in the minority with him. But, uh, yeah, he, he's in this. Obviously, he's the super cop. Yes, he is the super cop in this. He's got the super punches. The uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, every time he punches somebody, it's the loudest punch. I had to keep turning my TV down. It's like whoosh, whoosh. Yeah. 
you know, it's, it's, and it's the same sound every time. It's almost like the spaghetti western gun sound at this point. You know, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> these loud punches. Uh, and yes, he does rock a perfectly well groomed mustache, an outstanding mustache. But the only thing I really didn't like about Merrily in this film was his hair. It's just a little too blonde. Yeah, kind of draws too much attention to itself because I mean, they, at one point, some one character calls him a bleach blonde. And let me say that the dubbing in this film, I don't know if the dub is perfect or not, but some of the stuff that fucking uh, <laughs> Millian says is some of the funniest shit I've ever heard in a Euro crime movie. <laughs> the okay, let's talk about the dub then because I was going to bring that up. I think in terms of the voices, mm-hmm. outside of the lines, I think this is one of the best dubs I've heard. As is the case with most Euro crime films, they're dubbed really well, meaning. There isn't a disconnect between the voice used and yeah. the actor that it's it's for. Yeah, yeah. I really like the dubbing in this film, but yeah, there are a couple lines. There's actually a line <laughs> Merrily says. I'll bring it up now again. So she talked about dubbing where Merrily's talking about Million because it should be said this is the third or fourth Inspector Tansy film, which is the Maurizio Merrily character. Uh-huh. Um, and he's run into the Chinaman, who's the Million character before. And there's a line where Merrily says to a cop, he says, uh, oh, I know the Chinaman better than my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like something got lost in translation. It's almost as, you know, it sounds like he's saying he knows him as familiar, as a, as intimately as his hand that he jerks off with, instead of, yeah. I know him like the back of my hand. Yeah. So. It's so weird. And there's, there's a scene where uh, the Chinaman, probably Emilian, says something about uh, playing some piece of music or something like an ode to bullshit or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's At like, the funeral. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> There's some weird stuff, but Emiliano really has some great lines in the film. I mean, he really does. He's got some really great stuff. And again, I don't know how accurate the dub is, but I'm going to assume it's pretty accurate. But you're right. No, the voices they chose were spot on. Uh, well, of course, we know that that is John Saxon's voice. Oh, yes. Saxon, of course, did himself. Uh, I don't think it's Merrily's voice. And uh, I'm pretty positive no. that's not Emiliano's voice. But I think the guy that dubbed Emiliano has dubbed him before. I know... I think it must have been a small circle of people that dubbed these films, and I, I have heard that guy's voice before. Yeah, and you know, Millian is, is funny. We talked about him before. I think this is the first time he's been on the show. Which, again, is, is <laughs> staggering to me. Uh, not the last time. Yeah, I chose some Millian actually on purpose uh, for the next roadmap so we can get more Millian on the show. But he's interesting because he can do both. He can get onto the screen and chew up everything in sight, and then he can do something kind of this kind of almost like... Uh, there's almost hints of uh, homosexuality in the Chinaman in some ways. He's very, yeah. he's very, uh, he very much likes the finer things. He wears his silk robes and his, uh, you know, he sits around, and smokes his cigarettes, and he, you know, he, nothing really bothers him. He's very cool, calm, collected, and but he never really. It doesn't seem like he wants anything to do with women. You're right, and I'm glad you said talked about his his ability to scenery chew because I'm telling you, I'll put Million up with Pacino at the height of his powers. I mean. The whole world would be swallowed up if they ever shared the screen. I mean, Million really chews it, and he seems to chew it with such a gusto. And even <laughs> when he's smoking, he without saying anything, he's chewing scenery because it's almost like he's eating the cigarette. Yeah. Like his, cheeks, his cheeks go in, and he's just smacking his lips. And- yeah, no, it, it, that is a good. That is a good thing you brought up. I actually, wrote that in my notes. He's not smoking cigarettes in this film. He is chewing and eating his cigarettes. Yeah. It's amazing. He he yeah. really does have this really unique way of smoking a cigarette that you, it's got to be seen to be believed. You know, I, I mean, this guy might as well just go ahead and eat the fucking thing. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, he really just goes down. But this is an act, This is actually one of his, I'd say, this is him uh, dialed back. Even though he's still chewing the scenery in his own unique way, he uh, he's very dialed back in this. He's not that loud, Milian, that I'm kind of used to. You know what I mean? You want to see him turn up to 11. There's another Lindsay film we're going to cover where he plays the bad guy opposite Silva as a cop where he really <laughs> chews it up. 
Yeah, and some of his western stuff. I mean, he's way over the top. So, I mean, he 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 he's good though. I mean, I enjoy I enjoy I, as you know, I'm a fan of the uh, the over the top actors. So, <laughs> so I'm a big fan of his. Uh, anyway, we get a really great scene where uh, Saxon uh, and uh, Millian show up and they talking to each other and stuff. And it's really great to see these two actors. You know, both of them known for scenery chewing because the Saxon could chew up scenery too back in the day. Oh yeah, and. Uh, it's really good to see them. And again, I will say this, man. I mean, there's three distinct features for the, for the cynic, the rat, and the fist. You know, you got Marley and his mustache, or as I like to call him, the moustache. Yes. Uh, you got uh, Saxon and the turtleneck. And then you just got Millian just doing this sleazy thing with this kind of <laughs> this kind of uh, uh, emo hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that this you know, and he's constantly got a cigarette in his mouth. It's just it's amazing to me, man. The emo shag, yes. <laughs> and these three distinct actors, you know. I think that's one of the reasons why I like this film so much. The film is not actually a really great film. It's a really good chase film because it's essentially just a chase movie. Yeah. And uh, stuff and it, it, I think what I like most about it is, is that you know, you get these three distinct type personalities in the film. And uh, it's just really great to see Marilee Saxon and uh, Milian in the same film. Unfortunately, I don't really think there's any scenes where I think there's one moment where they're all on screen at one time. Am I, if I'm you want to know why that is? Why is that exactly? Merrily and Milian fucking hated each other. Ah, well there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would make sense because I know we all. If anybody reads about Milian, you'll find that he's a very interesting person behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera. Merrily, I don't know as much about. He kind of passed away uh, suddenly, I believe. I think he had a heart attack. I think in, yeah, I think in the, the, the heart attack or cancer in the, in the mid to late 80s, which is yeah. really sad. He was really young. I think he, uh, actually, yeah, I, know, I do know how he died. He was playing tennis, and uh, he had a heart attack, and he passed away. That's unfortunate. Man. So, because, uh, you know, the, he's in a Spaghetti Western now. Like, uh, they, call me, they call him Machete, something like that. And, uh, yeah, he died not, too, not too, too long after that, I think. It's a few years, but four or five years, but he died... Uh, but anyway, you know, there's a lot of stories there we didn't get to hear because, you know, the Eurocrime thing didn't really take back off until recently and stuff. So Marilee's not around to kind of talk about things like uh, Miranda and these other guys, So, which is kind of a shame. But, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's interesting that they didn't like each other. I'd imagine that there was a lot of that going on in the uh, Italian crime movie days. Because the machismo, <laughs> everyone wants to be the cock of the walk. Yeah, so, yeah, so there you go. So, anyway... Uh, Nobody rocks, though, the powder blue satin shirt with a gold chain and about five buttons unbuttoned like Merrily, though. You can five. say what... <laughs> you can, unbut- it's tucked in unbuttoned. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Peter O'Brien type thing. Yeah, you, you, yeah. Can, you can say what you want to say about maybe finding him kind of bland and kind of boring sometimes, but this dude's chest hair... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Metal Mikey would love it. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty amazing. And Merrily's just, you know, he's all studded up. There's a chick in the movie. I don't remember the actress's name, um, but... Uh, basically, her role is just to get smacked around because that's <laughs> literally almost all she gets done to her. She just keeps getting smacked around. What is, what is her name? Is her name Gabriella Lipori? Uh, it might very well be. I think it might be. Um, that's hang. Okay, yeah. my wife's got it. Okay, uh, <laughs> I think it's a friend of mine. He just never mind. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that might be her. The one that plays sort of his girlfriend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's her. Nadia, maybe. If it's Nadia, uh, yeah. that's her. Gabriella Lipori. Oh. You know what's interesting? She just did a film, uh, not just, but yeah, that's her. Right before the Cynic, the Rat, and the Fist, called "The Virgin, the Bull, and the Capricorn." <laughs> yeah. They like those. Uh, she's in Violent Naples as well, so yeah, that is her. So yeah, yeah, there we go. Nice. She did a lot of cool. She worked with Lindsay Lott. She did uh, Milano Rovente, which is a favorite of mine. So nice. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's good stuff in here, man. There's a great scene with John Saxon and some golf clubs and golf balls. Oh, yeah. uh, great stuff uh, and some great Danes, which in my experience are not really dangerous dogs, but, uh, you know, they look dangerous. Uh, again, <laughs> uh, I have to say that the music is really great, but I, I really I really can't think of a film more that uses the theme more and more in more different ways than this film does. I mean, it really is that you heard the theme at the beginning of the show. It really uses that theme in every imaginable way from like a jazz funk thing to like a, a quiet kind of moratorium type thing to a happy-go-lucky thing. I mean, it just keeps harping on the same theme. So this is the great thing about a Eurocrime, man. You just uh, make one theme up, and then you can just keep running through the whole movie. Oh, exactly. Hey, Sammy, hang, hang on just one second. No problem. Sorry. sorry, my friend Mike, who's been on our show, just called to compliment me on my narrow stash in that picture. Nice, nice. Sorry, man. <laughs> sure wasn't a Merrily stash. I mean, Merrily is yeah. easily... He's easily the, the competitor for the stash. That's another oh, thing, yeah. though. I mean, this whole movie, if you, if you like mustaches... <laughs> yes, like this, we like mustaches. <laughs> this movie's full of them. I'm sure there was a lot of coffee in these mustaches. <laughs> Everybody's mustache smells like nicotine and coffee. Oh, Jesus, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many mustaches in this movie. It's so outstanding. And uh, Saxon's got this kind of like little like kind of Guido Sarducci type thing going. And, uh, and Merrily's got the big bushy one going. But then there's a lot more mustaches in it as well, so... But it wouldn't be a uh, Eurocrime movie, at least a Merrily one, if he wasn't a super cop. Like we said, you know, there's a lot of super things he does. But I have to give it to Merrily. You know, there's some there's some pretty impressive stunt work he does in this. And it's obviously Merrily. Yeah. Uh, doing it. Uh, there's a scene on top of a parking garage that I don't know. I don't think it looked too risky. But uh, you wouldn't see. I don't think you'd see very many modern actors doing what he did in this little no. brief fight moment. And uh, there's a moment where he just runs and jumps up on this railing. I was like, well, I'm pretty impressed with that. That could have went wrong in so many ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you trip, fall, hit your face on the concrete, you know, lose some teeth. Of course, his mustache would have been a hell of a buffer, but <laughs> even all right. But yeah, I mean, the movie's got a really nice pace to it. I was never bored. It's dense without being too dense, you know. Uh, I like the feel of it. Milian is, is there to just chew everything up. Um, I just, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I had a really good time with the film. I know uh, you're not as big a fan, but I think I, I might like this one more than you. So let's hear what you got to say about it. Okay, well, this film opens the way a lot of Lindsay films open. It's with the police car, and you know, you get a few shots of of some uh, muggings and so forth, and the car zipping around the city. You know, it seems to be a signature of his, and of course, I guess with a lot of them, they got the little Fiat running around town. Polizia, but Polizia, yes. Uh, the print, I will say, is a little bit muddy. Yeah, yeah, it's murky. Unfortunate, mm-hmm. but you know, that's just the way it goes. Um, it's as fuzzy as Merley's chest. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, I would do. This is a small touch that I do like. Uh, that we often don't get in these films. Um, sometimes when you see in film, there's something that the character's reading in print or in a newspaper, or there's a poster that someone looks at. And you don't know what the fuck it means, but I like that they subbed what those printed items were in this because yes. sometimes those are little things that. Yeah, you could kind of make it up, but it's nice to know what they're actually saying. Yeah. I also like that little touch that, you know, that somebody knows they're going to pass away because they get an obituary thing. Yes. <laughs> Before they pass away. Yes, which is very cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, of course, the three J&B bottles at the disco. <laughs> or the disco music, which is absolutely fucking terrible. I have to say that music is the one bit of music that's different in the film. It is. It's funny. I was talking to Loaf last night. He was actually sipping on the J&B. <laughs> So he his his mustache probably smelled like J and B as opposed to coffee, but yeah, uh, J and B and pipe smoke. 
Yes. <laughs> um, did you see Gabe Kaplan sitting at the bar? <laughs> yeah, I did see him, actually. Another impressive yeah, I, mustache. What were the hogs, man? <laughs> the perm, another permic mustache junior there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, as is part for the course, you mentioned this, the haymakers are a plenty in this film. Oh, yeah. And and the fight scenes are really bad. There's a lot of moments where, or actually, no, that, that's the other film we watched. But the, the fight scenes in this are not real bad. It's just they're real, you can tell they're choreographed and everybody has to wait for their punch. Uh, yeah. We'll actually talk about that more in the second review as well, but <laughs> which is oh, even yeah. funnier. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're haymakers. I mean, you know, this is literally, I put my knuckles on the ground, I bring them up, and then I punch you. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a bad wrestling match. Yeah. Really, um, but that's okay. I mean, it's you know we don't watch it for the choreography. Nope. Uh, I like that we see uh, Claudio Undari, who plays Dario, who ironically looks a little bit like a, a more lumbering version of Dario Argento. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, his face. He was the the main henchman of uh, the Chinaman. Yeah. Um, I like that we see him kind of intimidated and shocked at the violence that DiMaggio, the Saxon character, inflicts on someone who didn't pay. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that scene because a lot of times you see the, the, the underlings and stuff. They're just too cool for school. But this guy was shook up by what he saw, which kind of shows, okay, well. Do you remember him in Cutthroat's Nine? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. That was pretty interesting to see that. And I was like, I wonder when Cutthroat's Nine would come back up on our show. And there he is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. I've seen him in, in at least probably a handful of films. Oh, wow. He did a film called uh, Juibi Rossi, which is Cormac of the Mounties. Don't tell me he played a Mountie in a film. <laughs> And it was directed by Joe D'Amato, starring Fabio Testi. <laughs> that sounds oh, like gold wow. to me. Uh, it's a western. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, he's in Lady Dynamite as well. Yep, yep. He's he's one of those guys, Frank and Tony. He's in a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, what's the, what was the name of that movie again? I'm looking for uh, it. Cormac of the Mounties. What year did that come out? 1974. I'm going to look under the uh, Italian title of Giubbi uh, Rossi. Oh, nice. That would be interesting. Uh, well, I'm t- totally getting off track for my own selfish reasons here, <laughs> yeah. trying to find this Mountie movie with Testy. Uh, uh, where are my notes here? Um, okay, so anyway, uh, moving along. Um, I like one thing I really, really like about this film that kind of breaks up the formula and uh, uh, that. that you know, a lot of the other Inspector Tansy films just felt so formulaic to me. As they take Tansy, he's off the force in this film. Yes. So it allows him instead of. Seen at the precinct, out driving around, stumbles upon a crime, slaps someone around, arrests them, back in the precinct. It's just one, two, three, one, two, three. I like that he's off the force because it opens up what he's able to do. He does some dodgy things that as a cop he wouldn't have done. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, yeah, but I really like that because it gives it a little bit of, uh, a little bit of variety. Yeah, it kind of mixes it up a little bit. I mean... I- I thought the the fast paced stuff was really good. I mean, there's moments where some of the dialogue was kind of boring. I, I find, of course, you know the most boring dialogue parts were kind of handed to Merrily, which is kind of unfair to him because he really has to play the righteousness of the character. Yeah, he does. He is, it, yeah, it's kind of shitty for him because I mean, uh, Saxon gets some great moments and Milian gets great moments, and then uh, Merrily's kind of got he's kind of got to play the 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 righteous character, and it's kind of unfortunate because he don't really get the great moments that the other two get. Well, he gets saddled with his his the preconceived notion of what Tansy and what Merrily is, which is the the white hat super cop. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of right. a it's kind of a shame. I mean, it's not a bad thing because I, I kind of sometimes like the black you know black hat white hat type dynamic. Yeah, but uh, it's just you know he he doesn't get to. 
I don't know. He just doesn't get to have the fun. I do like the scene where he, him and the, uh, I guess it's his boss, are punching each other. That's pretty outstanding. Oh, Renzo. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, no, that was good. It was weird. There's a scene when he goes to extract um, a colleague's sister from a, a brothel that she's been forced into. And I could have swore that one of the posters on the wall was a Christina Lindbergh poster. Yeah, it looked like one. I know what you're talking about because I rewound and looked at it. I, it looked like one. That's I don't know. Yeah, no, but I don't know. Hopefully it was because uh, the Lindbergh's awesome. Um, yes, she is. There's, there's a great little line. I think it's Million that says it where they do some some rather thuggish things at a restaurant. or Yeah, I think it's at the restaurant outdoors. It was Million. And Million uh, says to the waiter, he says, will this cover the bill? And he goes, oh, yes, yes. And, uh, and he goes, well, make sure it covers your eyes. <laughs> I just kind of like that line. Just a good little, like you said, he does have a lot of good lines in this film. Yes, he does. He's got he's got the best lines in the film, and some of them are just so bizarre. Yeah, but that's that's Milian. He just he, like you know some of his characters. He wears eyeliner and stuff. Just bizarre in his films. <laughs> uh, there's a, actually a kind of a comedic moment with Marley where he he storms in a place as usual, and two guys approach him and he goes, "Oh, wait a minute, not you two. And they kind of step back surprised, and then he like punches them both in the face at the same time. Yeah, and the other great moment he has, one of the other moments I love is when uh, they're like, "That cop could be here anytime," and he just busts the door. He's like, "I'm here." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he says it. He goes, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, he is such a super cop. It's insane. Like, I mean, he, he is to super cop brawling with criminals what MacGyver is to MacGyverism. Like, this guy improvises. He'll find something that can inflict blunt, blunt force trauma in, like, an open field. Yeah. You know, whether it's a chair leg or a club or, you know, he's just he's finding stuff to beat, to split wigs with. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty funny, man. I mean, there's some really great moments. I mean, there's some moments where I was laughing out loud. Yeah, that was a good moment. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. And he starts hitting people with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's swinging it around like nunchucks, man. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Um, there's a lot of the use of the word twat in this. Yes, there is. I always think I've, of I always think of Paul and uh, Mike when I think of twat because they say twat. Yeah, they really <laughs> emphasize it. But it's funny because I, I call them uh, uh, Undadi's character and his his the other lower henchman. I call them the Boyle brothers because they both look like Peter Boyle a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But they say twat more than anyone. Just insane. But um, the girlfriend, like we just talked about, Gab- Gabriella Lepori, she's she's very pretty. I thought uh, always nice to see, to see a foxy Italian lady in these films. Um, I have to say, with Lindsay's uh, uh, stock and and what we know of him. I was a little disappointed when the girl that got splashed with acid that she didn't look like one of Lindsay's mud face zombies from Nightmare City. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty amazed actually that he he kind of took it easy there. I actually thought he was going to go, you know, a little further being Lindsay and whatnot, but no, he didn't go as far as I thought he would. No, no. And my last note is it's a shame that Marilyn and Milian didn't get along because every hero needs a really good villain, and I think to me, for my money, Milian plays a better villain in these films than anyone. Than anyone, including yeah. Silva. I love Silva more, but if you want to talk about just, you know, cartoonish, over the top. I mean, Milian's your man. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 way out there. I mean, he's a special actor because he makes such odd choices. You know, he's like you know Dennis Hopper and some of these other guys. He's yeah. a special actor because of his just weird choices. Reminds me of like a. Uh, I hate to say this because I don't Jack think Nicholson. Yeah, well, I was going to say that, but I, I didn't want to say what I was going to say. I was going to say a second-rate Jack Nicholson, but. I would compare him comparably to Jack Nicholson, just he's never had the opportunities that Nicholson has. So, but uh, yep. that's what he reminds me of, though. I mean, you know, yeah, 
he's a very interesting person. Very interesting interview too. I've seen some interviews with him and stuff. He's an interesting guy. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. It's cool that he's in traffic. Uh, the Soderbergh film. He plays the corrupt Mexican uh, general. Yeah, yeah. You can tell Soderbergh's seen some movies, which would make sense because Soderbergh's a bit of a movie geek anyway. Oh yeah, no, for sure. But uh, it's just a shame they didn't get along because just to see these two larger than life figures, the black hat and the white hat, just kind of back and forth, it becomes like your De Niro Pacino scene in Heat, and we don't really get that. It gets kind of diminished by a yeah. silly little kind of quick shot dead thing that you know. It's just a shame. Yeah, it's pretty silly that thing we see, and then also the uh, I, I've actually heard I think that Testy and Million didn't get along well on Four of the Apocalypse actually too. So Million like didn't get along with anyone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know because I've never met the guy, but I, I would assume that he's a. I do know from what I've read that he can be difficult. <laughs> yeah. So you know he's one of those guys. All right. So uh, my uh, well, my MVT, my make or break for the film. I'm going to go with the Saxon golf ball scene. I really like the ease with which John Saxon does that scene. His golf swing uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. It's a little <laughs> stiff, but uh, hey, you know, not everybody can rock a turtleneck like that. Uh, it could have been easy to go with anything, uh, scene-wise, especially the scenes of the Chinaman, Milian. There's so many good scenes with him in it. But I just wanted to give Saxon a little props because uh, he's actually kind of like the third character in this film, really. And uh, he kind of, after a certain time, a point in time in the film, it's almost like he disappears a little bit. So it was kind of weird. I mean, he's there, but it just seems like he is. He kind of becomes background fodder after a while. You're right. He does kind of get pushed to the sidelines instead of seeing him Saxon it up a little more. Yeah, yeah. So I really liked him. So. Uh, my MVT for the film is going to be Millian. It cannot be. It cannot be anybody else. I mean, I like Merrily probably more than you do, but I, I'm gonna have to go Millian because I mean, I just think he's fantastic. He the ease with which he does stuff, the sleaziness, the way he looks at people. There's a great scene toward the end where he does some acting where he just uses his eyes, mm-hmm. and he looks to the right, looks to the left, looks behind him, looks back to the right. I mean, it's just a great moment of he's trying to figure out how he can get out of the situation, but he kind of knows he's fucked. <laughs> and I love that. I love that moment. And uh, he, he's really good at that. I mean, this is, uh, again, this is probably as subtle as, as we'll see him on some of the other movies we cover. <laughs> yes. I mean, he just, yeah, he really opens it usually, up, man. Usually very loud. Uh, my score for the film, as far as a Eurocrime film and everything, is I'm going to give this an 8.25 out of 10. I like oh, this. Wow. I like this quite a bit, man. I think it's entertaining. It's fast paced. It's an hour and a half, about the perfect length. Uh, I do wish it was in a better shape as far as uh, uh, print. I wish we could get a nice, proper print of this out. Uh, with some real, with the you know regular language and some subs, that'd be nice. Uh, but you know who knows? We'll, we'll we'll see. Maybe one of these days. But uh, I'm actually surprised that this hasn't been remade in some way. I mean, I guess it has if you think about it. Uh, probably been remade about 20 times. But I mean, the title and everything. I'm actually surprised somebody hasn't come along and decided to make another movie called The Cynic, The Rat in the Fist. I love the title. Great title. It is a great title. All right, that's my score and stuff for it. Okay, so my make or break, it's the same as yours, but I'm going to do it in succession here. There's that scene with that, but then we see that, oh, wow, DiMaggio's you know, not to be messed with, but then we see a scene that I think is, that follows it with the Chinaman and a man with a, uh, a jack, like a tire jack, yeah. a leg. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that scene. The only thing that mars it a bit is the sound design when the tire jack hits the leg. It is, leaves a little bit to be desired. <laughs> it sounds silly, but it doesn't yeah. quite pack the wall if it needs to. It sounds more like a golf ball on a tin roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a good not example. Quite as, not quite as much oomph as it should have been for yeah. a leg being broken, but I just love the matter of fact nonchalantness of that scene that we see. Okay, we got two guys here that don't fuck around. We know Tansy doesn't fuck around, but now we know all three of these guys don't fuck around. So I really like that scene. My MVT is just the dream team of these three. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. Usually you get two guys, 
Mm-hmm. You get one, if you're lucky, you get two. But to get three kind of heavyweights in one film like that, it really is a lot of fun. Even yeah. if the film, to me, isn't doesn't quite live up to that billing, it's still... I love that. Yeah, uh, my score yeah. for the film is lower than yours. It's 7 out of 10. Um, I do really like it, and I, I agree with what you said, that I think it's a good primer for people looking to get into the genre. Um, like I said, I don't know what it is, man. I got. I don't know why. I just I don't love the Merrily as much as everyone else. Uh, but, hey, you know, it's a personal taste, man. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But uh, Nothing wrong with it. You know, but uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's it, man. To give you a little behind the scenes, uh, I just discovered doing research that George Eastman actually worked on the script for Cormac of the Mounties. Oh wow! Which, I, which shouldn't be surprising, considering him and Joe D'Amato are pretty tight. So yeah, they are. All right, so that is our review of the Cynic, the Rat, and the Fist. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a little gem known as Deadly Prey. All right, we'll, yeah. be, <laughs> we'll be back right after this. PopSyndicate.com. Reviews of all the hottest movies, music, authors, comics, books, and more. Home of the Pop Syndicate message boards and the best media-related podcasts and internet radio in the world. Check it all out at www.popsyndicate.com. You know what? Well, I don't even know what that is. I know that song. Uh, I I trying to remember where the fuck I know it from. I know that song. Where the fuck do I know that from? I have no idea where I know that from. <laughs> Who's who sent? Did I send that to you? No, I don't think so. I think I pulled that out of my own collection, but I have no idea what the fuck that was. I can't remember what it. I know it though, man. Someone's got to let us know where that's from, because I do know it. Oh wow, I'm totally lost. I that tells you how good my memory is lately, uh, because I've to- I just did that last night, and I've totally forgotten what it is. That's bad. Strange. All right, so 1987's Deadly Prey. Uh, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, the over of uh, <laughs> David A. Pryor. <laughs> All right, Deadly Prey from 1987. Um, plot is a group of sadistic mercenaries kidnap people off the streets and set them loose on the grounds of their secret camp so the students at the camp can learn how to track down and kill their prey. Basically a most dangerous game type thing, except it's more of a training as opposed to a game. So. Um, I picked this film. It's pretty notorious. I have to give Bill proper credit for uh, turning me on to it a long way back. I am familiar with the work of Mr. Pryor, uh, but this was one that I'd overlooked for a long time, even though once I saw scenes from it, I thought, you know, I've seen this on YouTube <laughs> several times. So uh, let's get talking about it. Let's see what we got to say. This is the second Pryor I've watched in a few weeks, Killer Workout, and then this. Yeah. Interesting. Um... Well, firstly, I also want to thank Bill because, you know, this film it just gives, it's the gift that keeps on giving. If 
I, I had told you, I think last night, I, was, I think it was either you or Loaf, I'd said that if action films were in Akumite, this might be the American entry. Yes. Because yes. it, it out-mates Mate. <laughs> yes, it really does. <laughs> and, and any film that can do that has my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's get into it. Uh, right away, this film is made of wind because we get the kidding up scene with, with uh, Danton for I can't, no reason. Well, I, I, yeah. well, I can't believe you don't mention... Uh, I can't believe you don't mention the very opening where, you know, he's... Oh, almost dropped the microphone there. <laughs> You're excited, man. <laughs> yeah, where he's walking in the sunset against the mountain range. Ain't oh, <laughs> that's right. That's what I, when I started writing the note. It's like this Tarzan kind of inspired thing where it's like his outline, and he, he looks up at the gods and he does he's waving something around. Yeah, it's fantastic. He sticks his gun up in the air and pumps his other fist. Yes, yes, that's what it is. So right away, this film's made of win. Yes. Uh, so the, the film, I have to ask you, I mean, I'm not really a military guy, Sammy, but I don't see how 35 heavily armed men chasing one unarmed man is going to help get anyone more proficient in, yeah. in military strategy. Or uh, I have no idea. They're supposed to hunt down. You know, it's basically an excuse to, you know, do a Rambo type ripoff because yeah. that's what this really is. Yeah, of course it is. But we get the, the opening guy that we see, the opening victim, as I told you off there, I think he was very proficient in rock foo meaning he bashes one of the guys with a gun with a rock and then just keeps the rock and says, fuck the gun. Yes. Um, I love that. Um, I love how weak grenades are. Grenades in this film are probably less powerful than a smoke bomb from a ninja. (laughs) These are smoke bombs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They flame up and smoke, and that's what they do. (laughs) Uh, This film has a long line of military history. Um, The musket. The musket is an American. Was it an American invention or British? Do you know? Uh, May have been British, I think. Well, if let's just say it's British for the sake of what I'm about to say. The Americans trump the fucking Brits. They have a gun in this that has a trident on the end of it. Yes, I know. <laughs> One of the guys is hunting with. It's just incredible. I've never seen a trident on the end of a gun before, but <laughs> leave it to these guys. It's pretty amazing. Um, what's this say? I can't have... <laughs> oh, this is the, the Aviator Army. Yes. Everyone. Yes. Almost wears aviators, which is fantastic. The only, thing, the only thing this movie was missing was Bruce Barron. Yeah, sadly there's no Barron, but we do get military-issue Daisy Dukes in this. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite qualities of the movie. This is ridiculous. Where the hell does that even fall into anything? Uh, I don't know. There's a character just, in here. I guess her name is... I don't know what her name is. I guess it's... Sybil. I think it's Sybil. Is it Sybil? Is it Sybil? Is she sure she's not the girlfriend? She might be that. That might be her. No, no, because it says because uh, Mitchell plays Jamie's father. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, that's right. That's right. So it is Sybil. Don Abraham is her name. Let me look up the old Donner. See what she, she's doing. Well, she things. hasn't done hardly anything. She did this and some TV shows. She did a movie called Prisoners of the Lost Universe, which sounds like something up our alley. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't. Uh, it's a yeah, shame. I yeah, don't. that Prisoners of the Lost Universe has got John Saxon in it. So. Wow. <laughs> So I'll check that out. <laughs> but, the, but the military issue Daisy Dukes are nice. Um, yeah, she's she's something else. Um, well, she's not the only one wearing Daisy Dukes in the movie. No, she's not. <laughs> certainly not. She's not even the most featured one wearing Daisy Dukes. <laughs> we actually uh, see less of her than we see of Mike Danton. Mike Danton to enter alongside Peter Goldson <laughs> uh, and a number of other 
heavyweights in the action film <laughs> world. Um, I love. Uh, there's that line that's just. There's again, this film. It just if you want if you want an action movie line that you've seen before that you love, it's going to be in here. Yeah. Um, there's one where they're asking all these new recruits to their organization, "Why are you here? I'm here for this. I'm here for that." And you get the one douchebag who goes, "I'm here for fun." <laughs> Just for kicks. Yeah. Everybody says money. He's like, I'm here for fun. Yeah, fun. <laughs> the, the, let's say this. This is an American film, and the dubbing's worse than the Eurocrime film we watched. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> uh, David Campbell, who plays Colonel Hogan, I think he got the memo when they started filming that he was going to do his stereo up and down voice throughout the movie. You know when you turn a stereo up and down, up and down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what he's like, I'm talking like this. And, uh, bah! He's uh he did quite a few films actually he's he's in quite a bit of stuff some bad stuff but he's in quite a bit of stuff. Oh wow the Android Affair <laughs> plays, plays Gunther in the Android Affair. <laughs> yeah nice. yeah yeah he's in quite a bit of stuff but he's not uh, the world's great actor but he he is pretty he is fun in this with his kind of he's the the dialogue scene I'm getting ready to play here in a few minutes is uh, all one david campbell really really mucking it up man <laughs> oh man yeah he really gets into it it's it's pretty impressive and i gotta say sammy what to me is impressive uh is that they that prior wanted to make the statement the brothers prior shall we say mm-hmm. wanted to make the statement that nothing says comfort and a good night's sleep like off the shoulder sweatshirt and jorts to bed yes <laughs> <laughs> on a waterbed nonetheless on a waterbed no less yeah yeah <laughs> My wife watched about the first thirty minutes of this with me before she tapped out. But yeah, it's amazing how one little van pulling up and spraying somebody uh, or hitting somebody over the back of the head. I mean, it's amazing how Mike Danton is so so key. And he's in the right place at the right time at every moment, except when he gets kidnapped. Yeah, uh, a soldier, <laughs> a decorated man such as him, you would think. But what's up with the fence outside his house? I mean, it was like Area 51. That's a, I think that might be a southern, uh, an L.A. thing, because I've seen a lot of houses in L.A. like that. Kind of weird. Oh, wow. Yeah, this fence is like 10 feet tall. It's insane. <laughs> no, it's like one of those real, like you're in prison. Yeah, high security fences. I don't know. <laughs> Why would you need it? I mean, Mike Danton can leave his door unlocked. No one's going to bother him. Yeah, I like how he stumbles out of the house with the trash like he's been drinking all night. Oh, yeah, I love how they, they try to play that, like that, that whole domestic kind of thing, like, oh, honey, take out the garbage. And she kind of shoves it in his lap and he, or in his chest and he goes, ooh. You know, like that kind of those make cute moments. But uh, yeah, Mike Danton, I mean, I, I got to say, Miles O'Keefe, Jan Michael Vincent, eat your heart out. There's a new golden goddess on the scene and his name is Mike Danton. Yeah, yeah. One Ted Pryor who is still working today, man. I mean, he's still a character actor and he's still out there. Listen, I will say this about Ted Pryor. Uh, who who does have Kip Winger hair to bring Kip Winger back into it? Mm-hmm. He looks like Christian Bale with Kip Winger hair in this film. Yeah. Did he look like that in Killer Workout? No, he had short hair in that, no, if okay. I remember correctly, because he played kind of like a, a good. I think it was an undercover cop or something. Chuck, Chuck a, Dawson was the character's name in Killer. Yeah, Workout. he has a he has a street fight outside the gym with one of the dodgy uh, personal trainers at the gym. I think, if I remember correctly, hmm. um, but. Uh, I got to say, as much as we're going to rip on him, he did have a good physique. Yeah, I know he's in great shape. And uh, really good wow, shape. I just realized he did a movie with Angeline, the famous uh, billboard lady in L.A. called Hard Case and Fist. I have Hard Case and Fist. It's also got uh, oh, don't tell me he's the other cop in that Hard Case and Fist. You know, um, you know, Big Trouble in Little China, the the really beefy, bolo, young-looking guy that explodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a buddy cop movie with him. Oh yeah, that uh, yeah, that's the one. 
Yeah, I got that on VHS, man. <laughs> cover that at some point. Insane. <laughs> You're the world's biggest Ted Pryor fan. You didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Um, hey, did you want to queue up the uh, the scene, or do you want me to keep going? And yeah, we'll let me. Uh, let's play a little bit of uh, Colonel Hogan talking here. Now, I don't know what the quality of this is going to sound like on the show, and I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't have this timed perfectly, but this is the scene I'm talking about. This is after they've been hunting Mike Denton all day, and uh, they're all by the fire. Uh, and uh, Mike uh, or Colonel Hogan's having a beer, which, by the way, is the most unimpressive use of somebody drinking out of an empty bottle I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is throwing down this beer. And you can, it's so obvious that the bottle's completely empty. It's ridiculous. But here, uh, let's play a little bit of it here. Through his mind? No. I know what's going through his mind. I taught it to him. He went through our men like they were just toy soldiers. Compared to him, they're not even that good. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> you just took a swig. You hear the empty bottle. <laughs> Bastard was the best goddamn soldier I ever had under my command. I'd give anything to have 20 men just like him. Those bastards. Those stupid, dumb bastards. I gave them 10 years of my life. I tried to show them how to create the most perfect killers ever. They wouldn't listen. Said I was crazy. <laughs> A war is fucking crazy. <laughs> but it worked. My methods worked. He's living proof that my methods worked. Jesus. Gets what me. do I get for it? Booted out of the army, my walking papers, and a lousy $600 a month pension. You stupid bastard. <laughs> Empty bottle again. You trained Danny. You can do it with the rest of them. You're damn right I can. And I will. I will. <laughs> what about Danny? What about him? What the hell are you going to do with him? <laughs> First, I want to talk to him. What? And I'll kill the son of a bitch with my own two hands. Good. Give me another beer. Now. <laughs> All right, that was uh, some great acting there from one. Uh, What's his name? David Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, amazing writing and uh, acting there. I mean, it was, just, and you got to see his face. I mean, but it, it cracks me up. He's like, oh, I'll show him. I will. I will. <laughs> uh, the thing, you know. <laughs> As much as I love the over-the-top yelling and action scenes in these kind of films, what I love probably more, because the complaint in action movies is always um, if there's no action. But when movies are this inept and this fun, the scenes where there's no action are almost just as good to yeah. see to hear dialogue delivered like that. Yeah, if not better. Uh, yeah. that, that's the thing. Uh, and I think Miles and I have kind of talked about this stuff before, too. It's the moments where the the primary focus of the of the film are not taking place it's the dialogue scenes like with night beast when we did night beast it was the love scene it yeah. wasn't the night beast scenes it was the love scene and it was just so ridiculous and uh, this is the same way i mean these dialogue scenes that's just one of them there's plenty more oh there's a lot more where that came from yes 
Uh, Fritz Matthews, in Strange, talking about serendipity with the Pryor brothers, he plays the the personal trainer that um, that uh, Mike Danton takes on in the street outside the gym in Killer Workout. <laughs> nice. But Fritz Matthews in this with his aviators on the whole time, you know what he looks like to me? He looks like a beefy version, a beefy white version of Eddie Ojeda of uh, Twi- Twisted Sister. Yeah, yeah, he really does. He looks like him and like a mixture of him and... Uh uh, what's his name? The guy that we always love. Uh, fuck, what's his name? He was in uh, White Line Fever. Uh, the dojo guy. Fuck, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's his fuck? I can't believe I can't think of his name. We always talk totally, about him. Totally drawing a blank right now. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Uh, Martin Cove. Oh, Cove. Sorry, jeez. He looks like a mixture of Cove and that bass player. Like they, If those two had a son, that's what it'd look like. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's true. It's true. Uh, Mike Danton decides to wear a hot couture garland around his neck for camouflage with his shorts. <laughs> you know what the amazing thing about his camouflage is? He 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 camos up his face, but he he he's got this white glistening body that looks like fucking chicken meat. <laughs> yeah. Run, and, and he might be tan, but among this 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 barren land and then the occasional forest they run into, he 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 totally stands out, and his uh, stonewashed jeans. Oh yeah, Jorts, I should say. Jorts, uh, yeah, yes. He just stands up, but he manages to. He makes sure to make sure he paints his face because that's the part that you know everybody's going to be looking for. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's oh, ridiculous. It's it's fantastic. Uh, Mike Danton is such a perfectionist that instead of escaping after he kills the first guy, it's silent assassin time for everyone else. Yeah, he tell he threatens everybody. Uh, I like when he threatens the assistant with the uh, Daisy Dukes, like bitch. And he actually he actually slaps her and does something that I was a little bit surprised about. Yeah, he does. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. And and if you've ever wanted to see jumping around here, if you ever wanted to see Ernest Borgnine with Elvis Pompadour slash Wolverine hair, now you can because there's that one old actor. I think it was the guy that played her father. He's got the most fantastic hair. Oh, that's Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. Was it Mitchell? Yeah, that's Cameron Mitchell. Hang on, where are we here? <laughs> yeah, that's a good old Cameron. Oh yeah, he played her dad. I'm sorry, that's right. Uh, I love when when they don't know when when uh, Colonel Hogan doesn't know yet that it's Mike Danton, and he stumbles onto it. Just two bodies lying in the ground, and he goes, "I know this. <laughs> I know this style." <laughs> and there's only one man that could do this. And so someone's with him, and they say, "You know him." And he goes, no, him. I trained him. <laughs> it's that's what I'm saying. There's so many scenes. I can't even go through. It's an hour and a half long. I can't even go through and find the amount of scenes, especially with Colonel Hogan. He's ridiculous in some of the stuff he says. Oh man, yeah, he's got some good stuff between it's, him. It's, it's, there's a great scene between him and Danton in his in his uh his little his tent where Danton's tied up and he's talking to Danton. So there's a great dialogue there. This is like really just over the top dialogue between these two characters. It's just ridiculous. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, in every movie of this kind, uh, whenever a character runs into someone they haven't seen in a long time, they'll go, like in this one, it happens with Cooper, the guy that hit the soldier that used to be in his platoon. And after they've choked each other face to face for about a minute, they realize that they know each other. Yeah. And and, he, and I think it's Cooper. He goes, Dan? And here's the line that is in every one of these films. I'll be damned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they always have, you know, the, you, know you saved my ass and numb. You know, yeah. it's those kind of moments and stuff. Obviously, everybody got out of Nam, and the first thing they did was go to the, your local barber and get uh, 
uh, blow blowback hair done, and Danton in his case got frosted tips. Oh, he's got the frost. He's working the frosting, man. <laughs> yes. uh, the Eddie Ojeda character, uh, he holds a gun in parts when he's running, like someone dancing with a mop. Yeah, you know the, the the my biggest problem with the movie wasn't that it's bad. I mean, I know it's bad. I understand that aspect. My biggest problem with the movie was the way these guys were running through the woods with their guns. I mean, it was obvious these guns were fake plastic guns. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, none so more obvious than when they're running because the way they hold them and stuff, it just looks ridiculous, you know? It looks like like they're carrying toys. It looks like boys with toys. That's what it looks like. And uh, that that was my that was the one issue I had. I, the, the one out of all the ludicrous moments in this film, the one problem I had with it was the fake guns. Yeah. No, that's fair. They are really, really fake. Um, yeah, I want to deliver. There's a few more quotes I got because I just I can't pass them up. He goes, I think it's one of the soldiers. And the follow-up to this is even better where they start to see the bodies pile up that Danton's leaving in his wake. And, and one of the uh, soldiers goes, Christ, we're not hunting him. He's hunting us. <laughs> and and the Eddie Ojeda character, just without saying anything, just looks at the guy and shoots him in the forehead. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was a little bit harsh. Yeah, I know. They're... they're <laughs> I mean, David Pryor, man, I'm looking at his filmography. This guy's done 29 films as a director. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, who was it? It was like that Turkish director we talked to. I'm like, you've done 100 films. There should be some improvement along the way. But I'm glad Pryor didn't really improve because it, don't ever change David Pryor. Um, another line here where it's one of the first face to face ones with Danton and uh, Colonel Hogan, where uh, the uh, Danton says to him, You made me the best. Well, I still am. I still am. And they're just they're going back and forth with that kind of teacher student stuff, and it's yeah, really he loves fun. to he loves to repeat himself. It's just, it's just silliness. Oh, he does. Uh, Danton's got tits so tough that they're bulletproof. He takes about seven or eight bullets in this film, and not not a not a scratch on him. I mean, those are tough tits. Yeah, those are. And the amazing thing is, he takes them from the best shot of the of the group, the the main the main bad guy there. Oh, the, Thornton. Yeah, yeah, Thornton, the super soldier. Uh, shoots him about four or five times uh, while he's running at him, and I was actually watching that with somebody else, and they were like, "Come on, you know." And then he hacks off his arm and does the famous YouTube clip. So, oh, that's incredible. <laughs> uh, and I gotta say, these so and I, I've never seen this many. Like, there's like 30 men who have the uh, credit and the and the thing as soldier. <laughs> yeah. It's great. But these soldiers, I mean, the old neatly stacked boulders on top of the cliff. While the men are directly below Trick, gets them every time. Yeah, did you see that scene I was talking about where they're all walking through the woods and then they pan up literally maybe about three feet above the soldier's head and there's Danton sitting right up under a tree. I love that. He's just sitting there. <laughs> Sounds like Sorry. somebody's banging on the door there. William's doing his Mike Danton on top of his toy box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's... We need to teach him to say, Danton! Danton. We can say DVD. I taught him DVD yesterday. <laughs> nice. Give me a kiss. Okay. Um, no, that, okay. You're going to cut off daddy. You got to go. Okay, baby. I got to let you go. Say DVD. Say <laughs> DVD. There's one D. <laughs> Okay, sorry, Sammy. Hang on yeah, here. No problem. Let me give him a send him on his way. Um, oh, he's thirsty. All that, all that jungle stalking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. There. He always keeps going back to his little bushes with the little hole in it that nobody else can see. <laughs> okay. I love you. 
Uh, okay, you know what? I gotta take these earphones off. Hang on. Okay, hang on, baby. Come here, my boy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, uh, there's a scene. I won't. I'll talk about it in my make or break. It's not the scene with the arm cut off and beating the guy with his own arm. As great as that is, there's another scene that Loaf talks about later on. But oh, there's a, you know the line in the room when the mother says to the to Tommy Wiseau's wife, she goes, "Oh, it's definitely breast cancer." <laughs> yes, I do know that line. There's a delivery comparable to that where Jamie's father shows up and Jamie says to her father. He raped me, Daddy. And it's just delivered in this kind of absurd, over-the-top, matter-of-fact way. Like, he raped me, Daddy. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. Um, Danton is always accompanied. You know, uh, blaxploitation movies have the waka-waka, the the bass guitar and stuff. But he's either... Danton either has a variation on the song Obsession by Animotion or or a guitar lick. That's how you know Danton's in the jungle somewhere. Yes, yes. That's pretty outstanding. Uh, he runs through the whole film barefoot. I have to give uh, Ted Pryor some credit, man. And oh he, yeah, he's only got the, he's got the jorts on. That's it. But I mean, that's one thing running through, uh, you know, bare chested and uh, you know most of your legs exposed. But the guy doesn't wear shoes. I wish he had have been wearing a pair of thick tongued cons from back then. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. Revias or something. <laughs> um, okay, hang on. I've already mentioned that. <laughs> and you know what? I've talked about this masterpiece enough i'll kick it over to you all right uh i'll go over a few things that i have left to talk about here um again i told you where i heard about the film troy donahue is this film troy donahue is actually a uh, he plays the uh the kind of administrator that's kind of getting on colonel hogan uh, troy donahue was actually a very popular kind of a teen heartthrob in the 50s and 60s so it's kind of weird how his career ended up being you know like a lot of these guys it started out being the heartthrob and then he ends up in movies like cockfighter and fucking deadly prey <laughs> So oh, yeah. it's very weird how, you know, the careers end up being, you know, and his career really went down the shitter. He was in uh, Crybaby as uh, Hatchet Face's father, but uh, that's not surprising because John uh, Waters likes a lot of those teen heartthrob type things, or he likes that aesthetic, I should say. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I love that when uh, Danton comes out of the trees at one point and he throws a spear. That spear is awesome because it's like, like going through the air, you know. The spear he makes out of wood, he's always whittling a spear or a knife or some kind of stake. I'd like to see the kind of loon that this man could fashion. <laughs> yeah. And he, he sets up these amazing traps, which is, you know, when my make or break scene is going to be, uh, come up again a little later about these amazing traps he sets up and stuff. Uh, pretty awesome the stuff. Uh, I love when he kills the one guy that he decides to pick him up and do a backbreaker against a tree. Oh, my wife saw that scene. She goes, he, she just, he just killed him. Why does he need to break his back? Like, it's just awesome. <laughs> he picks him up and runs, runs him right across the tree like a backbreaker. So, yeah, we brought up the Earthworm meeting. That is pretty amazing. Uh, obviously, that uh, I would have to say that's probably real. Yeah. Uh, no one can sneak up on Denton except, you know, people in green vans or a couple hillbillies that need to be killed later in the movie. <laughs> that's uh, obviously a problem for Denton. You know, he can't hear hillbillies. <laughs> the, the thing that's strange is this film features more... Uh, murder without any provocation than any film I've seen. Yes, and I would say that that first hillbilly death is one of the funniest deaths ever put on camera. Yes. He literally opens his eyes huge and falls straight back in like total slapstick fashion. 
It's totally out of place for the rest of the movie. It's the weirdest death I've seen. There's always somebody up against a tree or walking through a bush in this movie. Even when, even when there's, even when there's an opening, it seems to find a bush, and that that takes me to to Danton's kind of bat cave. Oh yes, he's got this bat cave of of weeds and stuff that the bat guys walk by all the time. But every time Danton walks by it, there's this open hole. But every time they walk by it, they can't see the open hole because it's not there. Yeah, he's the master of kind of discover, <laughs> or, um, uh, obscuring the roughage and, and making it look like there's nothing there. Yeah. A great scene where uh, Cameron Mitchell and uh, uh, Troy Donahue are facing each other. And Cameron Mitchell uh, is talking to Donahue about some stuff. I'm not going to tell you what happens there. But uh, I have to wonder if Mitchell's eyes were even open during the whole scene. (laughs) (laughs) He was doing his monologue. It looked like his eyes were closed the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, the assault that uh, Mike Denton sets up. I mean, it's a thing of inept beauty. I mean, it's really amazing to me how he's always in the right place at the right time. He knows exactly where everybody's going to walk, where they're going to go. You know, it's that convention you have to kind of let go with action movies like this. You know, you have to kind of say, you know, he's so trained and he's such a machine, a killing machine. that He knows exactly where people are going to walk. He knows exactly where people are going to be at exactly any given moment for his traps and everything else to work. And uh, it's really, it really cracks me up, the... uh, the way he sets these up, and then of course when he's done, that's when you get him the whittling scene. It looks like he's, it looks like he's uh, having like a sexual intercourse while he's whittling. You know, he's kind of bouncing up and down, looking around. He's all, he's all, you know, his chest is heaving. He's been working all day, and that's when the other character comes up on him and stuff. But so, so, so silly. And, and the trees they're hiding behind, man, they're not even trees. They're like sticks. Well, he hides behind so many like mop handles. Yeah, that's what they look like. They're like mop handles. <laughs> now, I would be remiss not to mention that the film closes out with. Uh, let's see if I can pull it up here. Hang on. Might be able to get a little bit going here. Oh, here we go. I have no idea why this song was chosen. Step by step, day after day. It, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, when we talked about Raging Cajun. I was just going to say Heavener. Yeah, what what these what these uh, David Pryor films remind me of is almost like what Hefner does. Uh, they're they're action movies and they're real cheap and and stuff. And I'm not saying they're they're bad because they're not. And if they are bad, they're bad for what they are. They're not they're not like you know. I don't know how to describe it. this. Is always this is always a murky area when you started trying to explain so bad it's good type stuff mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's really impossible to explain it. You just kind of got to look at it for its own merits and. You know, this is a very simple ramp Rambo ripoff, and uh, a little bit of the most dangerous game in there. I mean, it's a very simple story. It, it ultimately a very cheap story to tell, and uh, I like how they did it. You know, they found a, a location with some military stuff. Uh, they found some open ranges. They found uh, one house with a high fence <laughs> and a waterbed, yes. and uh, you know, they found these these, these and they they, they kind of you know guerrilla filmmaking. They kind of just made this you know cheap action movie. Uh, there's something to be said about that. I mean, you know, the the results might not always be optimal, but uh, you know, you cannot tell me anybody watching this movie would not be entertained. Yeah, I would be amazed. I mean, would they think the movie's terrible? Yes, more than likely. Would they be entertained? I guarantee you, they will be entertained because there's no way that you couldn't watch this and not be entertained. But I just I think everything about it, it's it's the silliness of it, just kind of comes through. And I always wonder to myself, and I know you have to wonder this too when you're watching these kinds of movies and we do watch these kinds of movies for the show quite often. And I think I may have asked Miles this before. I don't know if I've asked him or not, but 
you know, when you watch these kind of movies, you have to wonder what goes on with the filmmakers and the actors while they're making it. Do you think they know they're making a piece of shit or they know they're making a movie that's going to be, you know, kind of remembered in a different way than what they're set out and what they set out to do? Because I have to wonder that. I have to wonder if they know what they're doing. Well, that that comes into that thing we always talk about, Miles and Katie brought up in the manufactured cult film. I think a lot of these, one of the reasons we love them is they're just kind of hard on the sleeve. And I think maybe they knew they're making something that's not art, but I I think because they go into it with good intentions and yeah. they're not wink, wink, look how referential we are, haha, we're making a bad movie. I think because they're kind of going in sincerely that that's why it earns goodwill and, and you know. Yeah. What went on with us? I think that's what that that's what my next point was. My next point was I think with the stuff that's manufactured to be a cult film, it feels like it's all made up because you know they know certain fanboys are going to like it. But with this stuff, that's not the intention. The intention was to make something heartfelt or to make something or at least for something where their heart was in it. And yeah. it might have came off as an error or a mistake or just something like what the fuck moment. But uh, I think that's where the real quality of these kind of dumpster diving type films come from. They come from. You know, I mean, obviously, people make movies to make money, and they don't. You know, they don't really make them for you know artist. I mean, this movie was not made for artistic change. <laughs> no, you know, but it was made for you know a couple people getting. I mean, there's a lot of people in this movie, and they they had to get together and they had to have a passion for something to make it. So I'm not making excuses for it. I'm just saying that you know I think that you have to look at these kind of movies that way. You can't always just kind of shit on them to shit on them. I think sometimes inept is uh, just as heartfelt as you know, a master. So precisely that, that's uh, all I got to say about it. But they, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we're definitely going to be doing some more David Pryor films. I mean, you know, action international pictures, you know, we're, we're definitely gonna be doing some more of this stuff. I mean, there's just so many great moments in this movie. We can't even discuss them all on this show. No. There's no way we, we, we couldn't, but anybody out there want to check it out, make sure you look for it. It's a, uh, it's a beauty to behold. You know who I'd like to hear review this would be uh, metal Mikey. Metal Mikey, I think would dig this quite a bit. Oh, absolutely. I think you would like it quite a bit. All right. Uh, the only other note I have is there is truly a uh, a scene of uh, right out of the homoerotic dictionary where we get the slow pan up the uh, glistening Mike Denton. Well, that's when I mentioned the Golden Goddess thing because yeah, yeah it's this loving kind of uh, <laughs> he's, slow. He's spritzed pan. up there, man. <laughs> yeah, he's got some. He's working the oil, man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and again, I'll mention the one one of my other big notes about the movie is uh, in my make or break. So I'll just go ahead and wait and mention that after you get done talking about yours. Okay, my make or break. As much as I could go with the legendary scene of him cutting off uh, one of his enemy's arms, beating him with it, um, that's fantastic. But I got to go with the scene with the worm, which I didn't talk about too much uh, in my notes. <laughs> this scene is the most. He, uh, prior in this scene, it's almost like he's he's an unwilling or reluctant participant in a scat video, because he, what he has to do is he spits in his palm like a guy who's about to jerk off because he, he's trying to eat, he's trying to find some roughage and some protein because he's out in the woods, right? So he grabs this, picks up this worm, kind of holds it a little bit like he's holding a dirty sock, spits in his hand twice, cleans the thing like he's jerking it off. Bites the worm, and this is where the shit video thing, because you can tell it's a real worm, and he's biting it, and he's got to sell it, but it's hard for him to sell eating a fucking worm. <laughs> have you ever eaten a worm? Uh, no. No, okay. I have actually eaten a worm before, so. Oh, wow. I've uh, eaten insects and stuff. Yeah, the worms are a bit uh, gritty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I just submitted that on the air, but, you know, <laughs> it was one of those uh, childhood dare things. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. It happens, but that's my make or break. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. 
It's uh, it's just incredible. <laughs> I, um, well, I was watching it and I was like, surely he's not going to do this. <laughs> oh, I know. I thought they'd cut away or something, but just the whole scene that have him having to eat the worm and then spitting in his hand and stroking the worm to clean it. it just well, it's just the correct filmmaking thing to do would have been, you know, Ted Pryor would have had an issue with it was to show him doing the real worm like that and everything else. Then make a slight cut, change the angle and put a fake worm in his hand. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, they just do it in one shot, man. This is the uh, this is the uh, Orson Welles of worm eating scenes. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> pretty incredible. Um, my MVT is just the insanity and, like we said, the kind of hard on the sleeve, rompy insanity of it. It's just you, you have so much fun. I, like you said, I challenge anyone to not have fun with this film. It's very fun. It's it's a fun dumb time, and it's just a real real good time. Uh, I'm going to give this film a seven point seven five out of ten. Nice. Um, not high art. But I challenge anyone to not be entertained for 89 minutes as they watch this and our jort-wearing hero, golden goddess. Uh, yeah, and you know exactly what you're in for in like the first 20 seconds when you see that yes. opening. All right, uh, my make or break is going to be the scene where Danton is doing his hide and seeks. There is an oh, yeah. outstanding moment where he's getting ready to drink from a pool, <laughs> a lake. <laughs> I can't even say without laughing. And another character comes up to the lake to get some water, and you can clearly see. <laughs> You can clearly see Danton's white back and hair <laughs> in the water. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he comes up out of it, man, and freaks this guy out, man. <laughs> and I died laughing, man. There's so many scenes where he's totally jumping out of stuff. What about the scene where he sticks his head up out of the leaves? <laughs> oh, and he kind of look, does that look around thing. There's so many stealthy scenes that should have been obvious to anyone within 100 feet of him that these soldiers clearly are not prepared to listen or see anything in their immediate uh, area but yeah the only thing i wish is that scene where he pops his head up out of the leaves i could have had merrily's uh i'm here yeah i'm here <laughs> it's just great man it's like there's a scene when he it, isn't that where he also reaches his hand over the leaves like a zombie yeah he pulls his hand out of the leaves first and then the guy's like oh and then he, all of a sudden his face pops out and he's got this like you know yeah. the constant mike danton look on his face which i'm gonna have to look for a still for that for the show <laughs> oh yeah it's pretty amazing man uh yeah, I really love those scenes. I love the scene where, you know, Dan's doing all of his hiding and seeking and looking around and showing, you know, he's superior when it comes to hiding. But that scene at the at the lake bed is the best because you can clearly see that he's under that water. Uh, and, I mean, it's so obvious. It's almost to the point, like, it's almost like the Loch Ness Monster. You can see, like, a hump sticking out of the water. It's so it's so ridiculous. And I was just laughing my ass off, man. So many great moments like that. Um, uh, my MVT for the film is not Ted Pryor, but it is Michael Mike Danton. Uh, this is one of those performances that transcends <laughs> transcends reality in a lot of ways. Uh, and the reason why I say that is there's so many scenes of emotional outburst <laughs> oh, yeah. by, by Ted Fryer in this film that uh, surely he's not like this, especially some of the moments toward the end stuff. The screaming at the camera, it's just amazing that he was doing this stuff and probably somebody was telling him, yeah, Mike, that's good. Or, yeah, Ted, that's good. <laughs> Well, it's like, uh, it's like, that's what I mean. Like the Matei stuff. Matei loves to have people yell, which of course I love. And, you know, he just, he just yells as good as anyone in a Matei film. This really does have the feel of a Bruno Matei film. I mean, it really does. It's amazing that I'd be amazed if David Pryor hadn't seen some Bruno Matei. Yeah. Or some of that Italian stuff, because this really has that feel. It's really pretty amazing. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go with Mike Denton, not Ted Pryor, but Mike Denton, because Mike Denton is definitely up there with the uh you know the character of uh stone detective stone from uh stone cold and 
and uh, you know your White Line Fever type characters and stuff. And he's uh, he's up there in the echelon now. This Mike Denton, I like it. I like him a lot. Matter of fact, oh, I'm yeah. thinking about if I get another dog. I'm thinking about naming him Mike Denton. Name him Denton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Uh, my score for the film is a little lower than yours, but I think it's still a very solid score. I like. I gave mine a seven out of ten. I think it's a very very solid film. Uh, if you like this kind of cinema. Uh, you're gonna love it. I mean, one of the user reviews I've seen right here in front of me is the great worst, the greatest worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, I don't, I don't know if it's the greatest worst movie I've ever seen, but it's certainly one of the one of the best I've ever seen. There's a there's a deadly prey JPEG coming my way. <laughs> you guys heard it live and on the air, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the uh, the the score is not indicative so much of the film as much as it's indicative of the entertainment value that the yes. film offers. And I think I would dare anybody to watch this and not get a kick out of it. And we didn't mention the tagline, which is just perfectly awesome and simple, which is he was the best in Vietnam and he still is. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a painted one and it's got him in the jorts with a knife in his jorts. And he's got a big gun with, you know, muzzle flash and all this. It's fantastic. Pretty amazing stuff. All right. So that is our review of, uh, Deadly Prey. We are going to take a break and we're going to come back and we have an epic, and I'm not kidding around with you, an epic amount of feedback. So uh, we're going to get on that. So we'll be back right after this. Hi, I'm Coffin John of the V Cinema webcast. And I'm Josh of VeryTelloLight.net. We're from the V Cinema podcast, a podcast dedicated to Asian, cult, and genre cinema. We cover all genres from Shaw Brothers and Roman porno to heroic bloodshed and contemporary South Korean cinema. You can find us at vcinema.buriedcelluloid.net or in the iTunes store under V Cinema. That website again is vcinema.buriedcelluloid.net. some listener feedback and we got some uh funkiness there from Simonetti and the boys or yeah there you go nice <laughs> yeah a little funky in the morning <laughs> <laughs> behind the scenes again we are up crisp bright and early seven o'clock in the morning to do listener feedback because we have a ton of listener feedback because we were basically off for two weeks uh well for a week so we got two weeks of feedback so we're going to get into it and uh get rolling yes let's uh, I'm still very foggy. My coffee's probably done percolating, but I'll get it in a little bit. I'm doing tea this morning. Oh, you're gonna kind of ease into this the show as opposed to <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a little tea. Jol- jolted with the uh, with the paddles. Yeah, I went to bed about uh, two hours ago. So, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so going with tea this morning. It's gonna be gonna be a little foggy. Is foggy is a good word to use there? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so our first. Uh, email of the day is from Peter. Peter says, hello again, boys. Wonderful podcast 76. I first saw mention of your show on the Mondo Movies forum board, and that's obviously because we asked him where he heard about us. Yep. Uh, I should add that uh, the, that members also 
recommended other several other shows, and I couldn't get into any of the others. What I like about GGTMC is that you two make it seem like you're all in the local diner at 3 a.m. Saturday morning after 12 cups of coffee. <laughs> wow. Wow. And a triple bill at the Studio Theater in San Jose, California. At least that's how I remember my Saturday mornings in the late 70s. The difference between yours and some of the other two riffing dude podcasts is that you know what you're talking about. There's a sense here that you're historians. Historians that like to make ass jokes, but historians nonetheless. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Uh, very impressed that you would take the word of a stranger and order most of the films I recommended. I have one more to add to that list I only saw this week. It's another Channel 4 gem, a nasty, gritty crime film called Low Winter Sun, starring Mark Strong, so good as black wooden guy Richie Sherlock Holmes. Oh, nice. It's a bad cop, badder cop flick shot in Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh, I should say, sorry, uh, and features one of the most downbeat climaxes I've seen in years. You were correct, by the way, about HBO running five days. BBC One just ran a sequel last month. Uh, I split my time between Phoenix, Arizona, and London, so I'm able to make a fair comparison between the two countries' TV output. Your British listener, who left a voicemail, I didn't catch his name, sorry, I was right about the fact that the boys across the pond make just as much crap as we do, especially when it comes to primetime soap operas and reality shows. But their good stuff is really, really good. Just so you know that this isn't a one-sided friendship or relationship, I ordered, I ordered Cannonball, and I'll be ordering a copy of Don't Play With Fire in the next couple of weeks. Ooh. Already looking forward to 77, Peter Infantino. Nice. Um, and seven, wasn't it episode 77 the Kurosawa episode? Because this is episode 78, right? I, I, I'm uh, kind of confused because we were gone for a week. Well, that's because he wrote this and we didn't have a chance to respond to uh, it. Ah, yes, yes, that's right, that's right. Yes. Okay, so I wrote down Low Winter Sun, Peter. I'm going to check that out. Uh and you might have heard me talk about some of the other stuff, or one of the other things you mentioned in the intro to the show. But uh, yeah, you know he's he's got a great uh, great point there. We it is kind of like that uh, diner talk at three a.m. You know. Hmm. No, it definitely isn't, especially this morning. Because again, as I've been known to do lately, I uh, I get hungry, so <laughs> I'm eating some Honey Nut Cheerios this morning. Yeah, Honey Nut um, Cheerios. I'm drinking tea. I should put some pants on. I really should. <laughs> For what? <laughs> yeah, really. I'm not. Only because this leather chair is starting to get sweaty. <laughs> a bare ass and leather chair this early in the morning is quite the uh, <laughs> wonderful mixture. Yeah, that'll wake you up, buddy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a brisk like 51, maybe 49 degrees last night. This leather chair was a hello. Like, oh, yeah. yeah that, that's the downfalls of leather. <laughs> Temperature is its biggest foil. Yes. <laughs> Well, thanks for that, Peter. We do appreciate that. I mean, I do kind of feel like that's what the show is. You know, I don't know about 12 cups of coffee, but if Will and I had a chance to sit around and drink 12 cups of coffee and talk movies, we probably would do that. Yeah, and it would be insane. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> okay. So, next front, next front, yes. <laughs> next one is from Ben. Ben of Cinecultania fame. Nice. It says, quick sense. Good day, gents. Okay, apologies for the nonsense of the previous voicemail. So this is in reference to a voicemail. I've been working double shifts, and I was starting to lose my mind. Uh. There was no alcohol involved in the derangement. That came later. <laughs> the film I was suggesting was Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Saw this on VHS a few years ago, loved it. Crazy, odd, fun, Italian Kafka-esque murder mystery. Like if Kafka wrote a giallo. Uh, it was the Oscar winner for foreign film the year it came out, if I remember rightly. Anyway, I was suggesting you should cover it along with the Jalo ripoff version. 
the female title, which I think is uh, Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion, maybe. Yeah, Here we go again sure. with me stumbling around with the... <laughs> Uh, with Cheerios in your mouth. With Cheerios in my mouth. Not even going to try and remember it. Okay, maybe just once. Oh, he's, he says right here. Uh, investigation of a nude photograph taken from behind a toilet above suspicion. Wait, what? Brisk. Ben. Yes. Have you seen Haneke's Time of the Wolf? Malevo sounded a lot like it. Now that I, Not that I've seen either film, just read about them. Also, can all Americans... Americans. Americans, please stop pronouncing Germanic names as if the E on the end sounds like an E. Haneke is actually Haneke. Nietzsche is Nietzsche. <laughs> I hear you say Haneke and I reach for my hanky. <laughs> oh, well, man, that tells us a little bit about Ben. So that tells us. Yes. <laughs> I don't think he's crying into that hanky. <laughs> that's, a, that's a crusty cloth right there. <laughs> that is. It's more like a surfboard now. <laughs> yeah. Get that thing into the washer. You just need a spatula. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, well, I mean, I've always heard uh, every interview I've ever heard with Michael Haneke has been uh, pronounced Haneke. So I guess all of us Americans do say it that way. I know that uh, you Canadians say it that way too, as far as I know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at TIFF that's what they said. Yeah, Haneke. So blame, blame the masses, blame the media, uh, Ben. Yep. Also, take, let me let me add one more thing for you. Go well. Taking photos from behind a toilet—that's tricky. Yeah. In my experience, getting behind a toilet to take a photo is a is risky business. Well, especially if there's condensation on the tank lid, because you're going to slip and fall and hurt yourself. <laughs> Believe me, I know. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, I, I haven't seen Time of the Wolf. I don't think you have either, Sammy. It's one I really want to see. I remember Emily had talked about it a while ago, and mm-hmm. it's on my list, though. It's on mine, too. It's one of those ones I've just never gotten around to. Uh, the next one is a reminder email from me to me. Uh, we were talking about something about England. Oh, yes, we were talking about the um, the films of Shane Meadows, and I'd said that This Is England takes place during the Balkan War. And, I and again, when I listened to it back, when I was a little more lucid, uh, I realized that I meant Falklands War. Mm-hmm. So, correction on my end. Uh, next one is uh before we forget actually this isn't the next one this is the next one okay so this one is it's actually very touching i read this right before i got on the plane uh to go to the bahamas it's from brad brad's in australia also and brad says uh best podcast on the net hey guys quick note to tell you how much i enjoy your show i operate a 250 ton haul truck at rio Tintos uh bauxite or bauxite Box, mine. Bauxite, uh, maybe? Bauxite? Bauxite. Uh, mine here in WEPA, Australia. And can't tell you how much it helps me make it through the night shifts, learning and laughing with you guys about true classic genre movies of the past and your opinions on up-to-date movies. I went out and bought seven with William Smith after, after your review, as I'm a big fan of the Bilster's bike movies. Yes. Yes. <laughs> to say it was even better than you described. Truly, he is the king of the white pants. <laughs> I've watched at least a dozen movies you've reviewed, and I'm always searching for more. Boy, I wish we had Netflix out here. Okay, that's about it. Keep up the fantastic job. Cheers, Ozzy Bradster. And he sends us this video that I haven't been able to watch yet. Um, I believe it is. Let me just take a quick Toyota Land Cruiser, Cape York. Is that in his signature? Maybe. Is that- I don't know. Let me... Uh- I could pull it it's up. a Land Cruiser through the uh, 
the outback, so to speak. Forgive the. <laughs> maybe is he sure that's not part of an ad of the email service he uses? <laughs> uh, maybe right. I got duped. But but no, he did send a, a YouTube video because oh, it's okay. actually embedded in the like it's in the email. Like the link is in there. Yeah, I see that. On a Cape York trip, it says. I, I don't know. Um, I'll have to look at it later. It doesn't make for good listening to stumble through well. inquisitively uh, about that. I thought it was maybe the truck he drove. Well, another part of the email actually says you're looking for a hot date. <laughs> View photos of singles in your area. For some reason, I didn't think that one was Brad. <laughs> yeah. Call yeah, it a hunch. That's awesome, though. Some guy that uh, we've never met named Brad. Nice to meet you, Brad. And hopefully you'll be uh, you know, a persistent uh, feedbacker. Um, drives a 250-ton truck. That is a gigantic truck, by the way. And that's I need a ladder to get into it. Yes, that's like one of those ones with the wheel is like you know, it's like taller than I'd say maybe three of us mm-hmm. standing on each other's shoulders, which would make an awesome acrobatic team with some tights on. Why don't we start a Cirque du Soleil show, Sammy? I think we should. I think we should. Me, you, and Miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all wear tights, no shirts. And Miles can wear the leather cod piece, though. <laughs> yeah. And we'll do a trapeze act. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then if one of us gets hurt, the other two can become superheroes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, yeah, thanks, Brad. We really appreciate it. Seriously. Yeah. The, again, it's, it's the reason we do the show is we get an email from someone who does what you do and it helps your work day better. It truly means a lot to us. So thank you, Brad. Yeah, again, it's amazing. I'm in somebody's ears. In, a, in in Australia and around a mine, uh, you know, somebody driving a big... I just can't believe it. It's, it's hard to believe sometimes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. This one says, very long email. And it's from Mike. Okay. Mike says, greetings, gents. It's Mike from Richmond, Virginia. Scott Blackula on the forums. We have posted a total of three times on there. Hopefully this email is the first step in the direction of a little more interaction between us. And trust me, I wouldn't mind a little three-way interaction with you two if you smell what I'm flushing here. Whoa. <laughs> uh, Good morning, anyway, Mike. Good morning, Mike. <laughs> you better keep that clean with a baby wipe if uh, you want a little three-way interaction, wow. Mike. Uh, much like Terrence Howard of uh, baby wipe insistence fame. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, look it up. Uh, anyway, in December, I was lucky enough to get an internship with Fangoria Magazine. I've been reading and collecting horror magazines for as long as I can remember, so getting that internship really is a dream come true. Mm. If you were to go back in time and tell my 12-year-old self I'd be working for Fangoria, I'd have shit in my pants. Oh, I'm 25 now and I practically shit my pants when I found out. But here's the point. I met a guy through Fango that also lives in Richmond. We hung out a few times, showed each other a few favorite films that we either hadn't seen. One day he asked me if I listened to any podcasts. I told him I've never listened to one in my entire life, so he tells me about Cinema Diabolica. The next day, I listened to an episode and immediately fall in love. Over the course of the next two months, I plowed through all 61 episodes. I'd sit at work for eight hours, not getting anything done I was supposed to, basically getting paid to listen to F-13 and DZ. Mm -hmm. Then the dreadful day came that I knew was just over the horizon. The day it all ended. After finishing up the last episode, I felt as if I'd lost a close friend. After a few days of moping around, I decided to try some other podcasts I'd heard about on CD. Not to discredit them, I couldn't do what any of them do, even half as well, but none of them really had anything for me. It was either the format, or the content, or attitude, or the dynamic between the group or duo, that there was always something that really annoyed me. I decided to go back and listen to some random episodes of CD, and during one episode I heard F-13 mention the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. 
I thought to myself, oh, yeah, Big Willie and Samurai. Remember those two assholes used to call into CD all the time? <laughs> yeah. So I downloaded a random episode. I think it was the one where you covered Deadlock and Command Performance. Nice. Probably because I'm a closet doll fanboy. Army of One rules. <laughs> uh, anyway, I fell in love all over again. You guys are great. Uh, I've since been working through your back catalog and keeping up to date with the newest episodes. I think I've heard in the first... I've heard the first 22 episodes and seven or eight of the newest ones. i got to say it again. You guys are great. As long as I can remember, I've always solely been obsessed with horror movies. Don't get me wrong. There's always been a handful of action, exploitation, martial arts, westerns, and more films I've seen and loved over the years. But until you guys, I never had the appreciation and desire I do now for those genres. I spent pretty much my entire tax return last month on DVDs of films you guys covered that seemed right up my alley. Wow. Or my back alley, if you will. Oh. <laughs> so far, every one I've watched turned out to be just as enjoyable as you guys made it out to be. Uh, so far, uh, off the top of my head, Eastern Condors, Heroes of the East, and Stone Cold come to mind as the ones that had my jaw fixed to the ground throughout. God damn, Stone Cold. Why is that film not shown in college film studies all over the globe? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, anyways, I just want to thank you. That's pretty much all I wanted to say. I promise my next email or voicemail will not be so long. But if you take into consideration how much, how many hours of feedback I've heard in the past few months without saying a peep, yeah. I'm not such a bad person. <laughs> One more thing. My timelines are a little fucked up. I've been listening to both episodes for two years ago and current ones. But Sammy, either you have close to a two-year-old son or about to have a son. Either way, congrats. Yes. Uh, uh, is that it? No, I'm sorry. Oh. I, I was I was actually swallowing. Uh, oh. <laughs> That's what she that said. Too, yeah, that sounds fucking horrible. I, I should have said I'm getting a drink of water. Jeez. Um, either way, congrats. Last thing, I swear. Holy shit. You guys covered How Sue. I bought a burnt copy of that film at a chiller convention about eight years ago solely because of the Argento directing Beetlejuice description on the back. Nice. It's always been one of my favorite films to show people who claim to have seen it all. <laughs> Until you guys have never even heard it mentioned. Uh, Apparently, uh, Janice Films... Uh, they do pronounce it Janice, right? Because I've never called it Yanis. I say Janice. Is that correct? I believe Janice is correct, yes. I believe unless, it is. <laughs> unless Ben is going to call in and yeah. <laughs> tell us we're wrong. Uh, might be, it might be Janicky. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Criterion's parent company is showing it in theaters and has plans to officially release it on DVD this year. Exciting. Last thing, I promise. If you guys ever stop doing this show, if you ever, ever, ever leave me. I will hunt both of you down, kidnap you both, tie you to a bed, and force you to watch movies and discuss them with each other while I listen. <laughs> yeah. Keep up the good work, take it sleazy, and I'll smell you later. <laughs> Alright, uh, I appreciate that, man. That's really awesome. Uh, I'm actually a Fangoria fan, too. I've been a Fangoria fan since I was uh, all of probably six or seven years old. I've been reading Fangoria, and I still read it to this day. I've been reading that magazine my whole life, so... Uh, First of all, congratulations on that, and that's outstanding. Uh, second of all, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else was in that email. There was a lot in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the the genre thing. Yeah, that, that that's really the main purpose of the show. Me and Will are also gigantic horror movie fans. Really, that's where it all starts. Uh, horror movies are what we love. But uh, when we started talking to each other and stuff, and we've probably said this before, so I'll keep it kind of brief. Uh, we realized we like a lot of other stuff too, um, a lot of action movies, a lot of uh, you know policia films, a lot of uh, well, well maybe not western so much, but we we talked about them a lot. A lot of a lot of uh, eastern cinema. There's just there was just so much, and it was like you know well, let's do a show that covers all this stuff and turn people onto it. You know, so 
you know, we're not the only show doing that, but uh, I like to think that uh, we do a good job of getting people out there and buying stuff. And yes, Stone Cold should be shown in film studies classes. Well, I'd heard it was shown at a few colleges uh, throughout the West Coast of the United States, but what had happened was there was this disturbing trend of uh, a lot of the the guys in the classes getting Komodo dragons uh, as pets. Yeah. And there were some unfortunate incidences in the showers, and they just had to stop showing it because too many guys and too many hot pink European cup bikini briefs with Komodo dragons, just the administration of the schools wasn't having it. Yes. Um, but no, I, I just want to say, uh, Mr. Blackula, that yeah, thanks so much, and, and truly congratulations to you to fulfill a dream, I think, in life, to fulfill a dream as a career is a wonderful thing that very few people get to experience, so I, I am truly happy for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's outstanding. Yes. That would be a dream uh, of mine to write for a big magazine. That would be amazing. Oh, man, absolutely. Um, the next one is a reminder. It's a baby reminder for Alyssa. I just did not want to forget to congratulate her because I'm not on Twitter as much and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yep. So I want to take this opportunity to thank our good friend and the voice of our show, Alyssa and Deeps, yes. and their beautiful baby. Yes, congratulations so much. I believe her name yes. is, I don't want to say her name on the air. She went out like that, but uh, yes, congratulations. So happy for them. Yes, and I saw a picture, I think, of the baby on Twitter, I think, but uh, beautiful baby, man. Yeah, yeah, she did, she did put a picture up. Yeah, okay, so yeah, she's very beautiful. Uh, this one is from Mr. Loaf. Uh, okay. All right, so Loaf, actually, just to give him a little insight, he called in a, a man on the scene report or reports from the Action Fest Film Festival, um, but we're going to play those next week as part of a little segment because we got some stuff from the, the Dallas International Film Festival this week, as you heard. Yes. So I'll just read the email. Um, it says, I know, I know. I should be phoning in a voicemail, but I wanted to drop a quick email to you guys, let you know I was thinking about you. Maybe touching myself at the same time. Don't worry, I'm in the back row with the rest of the creeps doing the same thing. <clears throat> so I'm sitting here waiting for my sixth film today. My ass hurts, not in the normal way. <laughs> There's a clip running from some foreign flick next to me, or some flick foreign to me. There's an alien with bleach blonde kip winger hair and a trench coat chasing Dolph and the dorky guy from Dream On through the streets of Houston. Why the fuck aren't they showing this whole movie? I fittingly got a Vanilla Ice referencing voicemail from Will while watching Johnny Toe's film Vengeance. Uh, I will call in some sexy reviews and impressions and such later on. Thanks for guys for helping me make the four-hour drive here. Talk soon, Loaf. Yeah, yeah. He uh, sent some stuff in, and uh, you know we had so much feedback. I was like, you know, uh, Loaf, do you mind if we play this next week because we have so much? And uh, Doc went to the Dallas International Film Festival, and I wanted to play those uh, reviews and stuff and. So we're gonna hold off on it for a week and stuff, but man, I gotta I gotta go to this action fest, buddy. We gotta be programmers for the action fest. Oh yeah. If they don't have any Peter O'Brien <laughs> or uh, Mike Danton, they're not doing something right. Well, first of all, that you said Mike Danton and not his real name, it tells me how outstanding a programmer we would be. <laughs> well, the line is blurred between reality and fantasy when he shows up to the festival in jorts. Danton. <laughs> Uh, but uh, (laughs) onwards we go here Uh, this one is from Michael it says don't torture a turkey shoot while you're buying films online (laughs) hello from Michael H from the British Isles I thought I should should send another email into the show especially since I have a few things to say having kept up with all the shows as I type this email I have heard uh, the Kurosawa 
appreciation episode, and it is me uh, considering seeing as many films of his as I can this year to celebrate his posthumous 100th birthday. When the Mondo Movie Podcast used to do festivals that lasted multiple shows, their takes on Ingmar Bergman and Pedro Almodovar were fascinating, as was the case with your Kurosawa episode. It would be great if you guys considered doing specials on certain acclaimed directors, even if they're very well-known and mainstream, especially if you concentrated on the lesser-known or more genre films in their filmographies. Also of interest, I recently rewatched the Aussie Exploitation film Turkey Shoot. <clears throat> I had won it in a DVD bundle years ago, along with the documentary Not Quite Hollywood, Patrick, the original Long Weekend, Dead Kids, or Strange Behavior, and Road Games. And after rewatching, I enjoy them even more. Uh, specifically, Turkey Shoot. Uh, as Turkey, as Turkey pointed out, as Sam pointed out in your review, hey, along, uh, <clears throat> my apologies, Sammy. I'm a turkey. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like Robert Reynolds' movie. (laughs) Uh, Sammy pointed out in your review a long while ago, uh, the Wolfman is the best thing in it, if at least for the fact that he's proficient in wrestling moves. Possibly learnt from being in the circus and his entrance wearing a top hat like he was an English gentleman who completely disregarded the personal hygiene of shaving. Surprised you didn't mention the dated but synth music score. Every time it starts in the scene, a grin appears on my face. Uh, as I end this email, I have an important question to ask uh, that I hope someone, including anyone who listens to the show, can help me with. While I have not got a multi-region DVD player, though this may change by the end of the summer, I'm still interested in importing a few films that I cannot get on DVD in England. Having looked at the catalogs for Blue Underground and Synapse, uh, they have released films with region zero coding, which means they can be played on a DVD player. In fact, I've bought Lucio Fulci's Don't Torture Duckling, and I hope it gets, uh, and I, which I hope gets here okay and is good. Are any other American distributors or any other companies in another country who've released Region Zero DVDs? I'm interested in cult films, world cinema, Japanese anime, or experimental films. I would appreciate any help. With regards, Michael. Wow. Uh, getting suggestions from me this early in the morning could be difficult. <laughs> Keep listening to the show <laughs> for further suggestions. Um, one other thing. What? Oh, you know, I was thinking the other day. I was thinking... I wish somebody else would cover Turkey Shoot and talk about it because uh, maybe one of the friends of the show, you know, one of the sister shows or something, that'd be outstanding. Yeah, it's any of them would do a fantastic job with it. Um, you know what I would say? I'm sure one of our listeners knows this about other uh, distributors that have Region Zero DVDs. Um, you know what you could do, Michael, which I think might work, is if you go to Amazon.co.uk or .com for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for one of the films. Uh, look for a film that you know is on a different label. If it doesn't list it in the specs, uh, email the vendor selling it. Not Amazon, but get one of the cheaper ones that's new from uh, a wholesaler or whatever. Uh, email him and say, you know, I, is this Region Zero? And do you know if there are other re- DVDs are Region Zero? And I know they'll know the answer to that. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and most good vendors get will get back to you within a few days. So sounds like a plan. <clears throat> I'm 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 gonna tally up the voicemail to give everybody an idea here. Let's see. Four eight. This is riveting radio, I know. Hey, we gotta do that thing for Terry this week. Yes. <laughs> we missed the fiftieth. I'm ashamed of us. Yes. Uh <laughs> that that will be on the air now, so <laughs> we'll let everybody know that we're gonna be sending some feedback to Paleo Cinema. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, let's get some uh let's get some of our voicemails going. You ready? You got tw- we got about twenty four. So buckle in, go pee now if you have to go. Well, actually, you know, if they're wearing an iPod, you know, just go ahead and pee with us. Yes. In your ears. 
Yeah, because that is all of our email. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, okay. I believe that is. All right, first voicemail. Hang on, let me get it going here. I think here we go. Willie, Sam, it's Tom DJ from Better in the Dark, straight out of Brooklyn. Uh, just finished listening to the um, Red Riding trilogy episode, and about downloading the new one right now, actually. <laughs> and I just wanted to comment on uh, you were plan. You were talking about plans to do an all Australian Brian Trenchard Smith. Sorry, Brian Trenchard Smith episode, and also considered maybe doing a review of Thirst. We covered Thirst in last year's um, Obscure Movies episode. I'd be very interested to hear what you thought. I caught it originally when I was a teenager and was really enthralled by the film. Unfortunately, watching it later, because I picked it up, get this, as part of a three-disc Aussie horror Anchor Bay set, for the grand total of $10, along with Patrick and Strange Behavior. Wow. And rewatched it recently, and it's not as enthralling, although it still has that probably one of the weirdest premises ever. And uh, Henry Silver, who apparently was so scared of uh, heights that he didn't allow himself to be taken up in a helicopter during the filming, and you'll see uh, where that's uh, significant. Um does die a very spectacular death. Um, and it's, it's watching this as an adult that has made me very reluctant to watch uh, Dead End Drive-In, which, once again, I discovered on VHS when I first moved here over 20 years ago to this neighborhood. And remember, just enjoying the fuck out of because it is just such a bizarro th- film and I'm afraid that watching it now will have the same kind of letdown that I got when I watched Thirst. But I'd be interested in hearing your uh, opinions on both of these films. And Because I'm going through this whole, as I mentioned in the past, exploitation kick. And I've been re-watching or watching for the first time a lot of the great exploitation classics. So, But what it, as always... You guys are doing great. I love what you're doing, and keep up the good work. And we here in Brooklyn, we're going to keep up our end. Okay? Peace. All right. That was uh, Tom DJ from uh, Better in the Dark Podcast uh, and Better in the Dark Laboratories out of Brooklyn. Did I say that correctly? I think I did. Yes, you did. Our favorite Jets fan. <laughs> yes. Yes, there we go. Uh, yeah, we uh, yeah, we talked about maybe doing Thirst. I mean, it's not a guarantee. The only reason why we'd probably only do Thirst is because of uh, Mr. Silva, I, I would say. Because yeah. yeah, that's the main reason. Because I've heard some mixed things about it and stuff. Um, but as far as Trenchard Smith, I think I think we got something in the works. I think we got something we're going to do. Uh, I know we're going to do one film. We're trying to work out the logistics. I'm going to get uh, Ben from Cine Cultania on the show or uh, Cine Cult Handicky on the show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to torture him by saying German names incorrectly the whole episode. <laughs> yes. I'm even going to call Scheisse, Scheisse. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, I know we're going to cover one with him, uh, one that was just released recently. I got a new reissue and stuff. I don't want to say the name right now, but uh, I know I know that's in the works for sure. But uh, don't know when it's going to happen, but sometime soon. we got some stuff coming up. We're, we're kind of going to be pretty much on a schedule for the next uh, four to five, six weeks. So we'll see what happens. We haven't done any listener appreciation, and now we got a whole listener appreciation month coming up. <laughs> but after that, I 
all talk about this at the end of the show. I, we have a listener appreciation contest that you'll just have to cool your heels for a bit, but there will be a contest out this week. Yeah, and after you know what the contest is, and after you see it, you're going to have to cool your jets. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tom, thanks for that. Next voicemail. Hey, Jets, Robert. Just listened to um, Mal Evil in Massacre Time. Um, I, I definitely am interested in Mal Evil. I'm interested in both, but um, I'm totally going to check out Mal Evil. Uh, like Rick, I'm a pretty big fan. Actually, both of you guys, I'm a pretty big fan of the post-apocalyptic genre. Um, and I definitely have not seen everything. So uh, this one sounds very interesting to me. And I certainly can respect a good... Um, you know, post-apocalyptic landscape. That's that's pretty cool when you see that. Um, so, a movie last night, uh, you guys might dig, called uh, The Snorkel. It is from uh, Hammer Icons of Suspense Collection, which just came out this week. Um, and I guess it never been on DVD. Actually, I guess a lot, there's like six films in, and I guess a bunch of them haven't been on DVD. Another one I'm looking forward to is called These Are the Damned, which uh, I think Joe Dante covered the trailer on his trailers from Hell from trailers from outside um anyway uh snorkel pretty cool story worth you guys checking out at some point if you're even if you're not a huge i'm not a huge hammer fan myself I'm, i mean i like them but i'm not a huge fan but this is more sort of a thriller um type of thing um maybe along the lines of a dial on for murder kind of thing anyway i'll shut up but uh good stuff guys okay bye nice uh yeah, I, of the two of us, I think I'm the bigger Hammer fan, but I'm I wouldn't say I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a, uh, what's the word? Uh, um, I don't know. An apologist? Yeah. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know if I'm an apologist. I don't know what I am. I, I just wouldn't say you know that it's you know it's the be all end all for me. I do appreciate the Hammer films. Some of them are I, pretty bizarre. <laughs> I appreciate that you wear a Hammer pants while watching Hammer films. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times, if you hear me go away like this over in the mic, it's because I'm doing the uh, typewriter dance as I'm, as I'm like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Here come the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I never know where our, our replies to our voicemails are going to come from, and I'm sure our listeners don't either. <laughs> he asked nothing about MC Hammer, and that's what he gets. <laughs> Oakland's fine. Oakland's golden sun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah, Rupert. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Let's just go. He's got. He sent in a couple more. So let's just keep going there. Hey, Jets, Rupert. One more time. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> just um, in in keeping with the sort of aerobics '80s slasher thing, you know, killer workout, death spa. Um, came across a movie I think through Twitter the other day um, called Dance or Die, which. Um, has a really interesting VHS cover. Hmm. Uh, I think it's somebody stabbing through the toe of Alvarina shoe or something. I don't know, <laughs> but um, looks pretty entertaining. The IMDb score is abysmally bad. It's like a two or something out of ten. Um, but that is another one that I'm going to try and find. Um, not sure if you guys have seen it or if you have any. Would be curious to hear your thoughts if you have. Um, anyway, that's all I got. Bye. Uh, Dance or Die. Looks like it's from 1987. Uh, maybe. I don't know if that is it or not. I, I didn't actually pull it up, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I did, <clears throat> of course, because I'm a uh, sucker for this kind of crap. 
I guess this is it. I'm going to read this plot synopsis for you and see if it sounds interesting to you, okay? Uh, Jason is trying to get his dance troupe ready for their big performance while at the same time trying to kick his drug habit for good. Not exactly helping with the latter problem is Jason's roommate who deals cocaine from their apartment. When the roommate gets bumped off for cheating one of his business partners, Jason finds himself being harassed by dealers who think he's hiding the missing merchandise. So it's a Polizia slash slash uh, dance thriller. <laughs> nice. And there's gang members in it. Anytime you mix da- dance and gangs, I'm there. Yeah, because you get uh, so many great 80s videos with the eyeliner, uh, 5 o'clock shadow, and, <laughs> and fingerless gloves, and just fantastic stuff. That has to be it. I'm assuming there's, there's three, believe it or not, there's three titles, Dance or Die. And I know he's not talking about the 1923 film, unless, you know, wow, he's really going back. So, okay. Well, I have to look, uh, Rupert, you know, keep in touch with that. You know how I feel about those uh, strange films? <laughs> Yeah, let us know, please. Yes. All right, next voicemail. Hey, Jens, it's Emily. I really enjoyed your review of Malevol. Malevol? I don't remember. Um, Just a really good discussion, and a film that I haven't seen yet, but from what you say, really reminds me of Time of the Wolf, which I may have called and talked about before. I don't remember. I'm getting to be quite the voicemail slut, so I can't really keep track of that. (laughs) Uh, the Time of the Wolf was a Michael Michel, I don't know his name is French, uh, Haneke film with Isabel Hoopa and Beatrice Dahl from uh, Inside. And it sounds very similar, where it's like nothing really happens, there's an apocalypse, clearly something bad's gone on, and now it's just people coping and dealing with it. And I didn't really enjoy it, but it's a film that's really interesting and stays with you, as these films often do, and just probably the most realistic depiction I've seen of what would probably happen, which makes me want to see a little, because that sounds along those lines. I should just take a hint and stop calling, because I cannot get through a single voicemail. I don't even- what happened there was it, uh, it died. The voicemail died on her, so she called back. So that's what she's talking about. This is the second part of it. I think that was three minutes. Anyway, um, yeah, the other post-apocalyptic film that I think is really worth watching would be the BBC Threads, which is sort of like the British version of the day after, but even more depressing. Um, I guess I shouldn't say anything more, because um, I don't trust that I won't get cut off. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, Sammy, happy birthday to you. <laughs> Man, that was a that was a blitz. <laughs> yes, that was a Dick LeBeau style blitz. <laughs> I like that she called herself a voicemail slut. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, we we're, uh, we'll have to check out Time of the Wolf. I'll definitely, I'm definitely going to move that up, Mike. You, I'm going to check it out. There's still some uh, Hanukkah I haven't seen, so <laughs> I'll have to definitely <laughs> check it out. <laughs> this has become a fucking Hanukkah op- episode. <laughs> it has. Oh man, but uh, yeah. Oh, uh, to give you a heads up, uh, just want to go ahead and put this out there. She'll she'll love this. Um, her and Erica did an episode of a podcast. They're starting, or I guess they're going to do it. I don't know if they're going to do it temporarily or if it's going to be full time. Uh, called uh, it's a Glee cast. So <laughs> for Will, who's a huge fan of Glee, and uh, for me, who I actually am a fan of Glee. Uh, yeah, check it out for those of you who are listening to this show and are fans of Glee. That'll probably be a that'll probably be a small number, uh, actually. That'll, but. that'll be an army of one, Sammy. <laughs> it might be. Actually, I know there's a couple of them out there. There's a couple more Gleeks, as they call them, out there. My so. see, the my 
this was an emo- emotional roller coaster five seconds for me because you said Erica and Emily are doing a podcast and I thought yes wicked <laughs> and then two seconds later here it's about Glee and I'm like oh yeah I don't know if it's going to stay about that or if they keep doing it afterwards but uh, right now that's what it's about and I think uh, Mel by Force will be on there occasionally as well so oh nice looking that'll, forward to it that'll be really good yeah looking forward to it even if you don't like the content still quite nice ladies and i'm sure it's probably very solid i haven't listened to the episode yet so i don't know we'll see <laughs> i will still support them and i will listen because i love them so yes. there we go all right next voicemail hey gents it's ben from semicoltania just calling to wish you a happy birthday from deep down under in my pants take it <laughs> easy guys see ya he needs to get his hannikies out of his pants <laughs> 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 Hope Michael Haneke's press agent doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> I think no. I think Ben called back. Hang on. Yeah, hi, Judas Scariot here. Just want to no. it's a greeting, which is great. That's not Ben. Know, I don't know who that is. Saturday is named after Satan because it's the day of the week where Jesus is fucking dead, and so I roam the earth. That's uh, scorn, I believe. Wonderful. But the other <laughs> yes. thing is, you know, as much as I really hate the movies I just watched this week, including um, Twenty Eight Twelve. And we need a bigger plane. Uh, that was almost as disappointing as accidentally watching Young Victoria and seeing, seeing fucking bitch face walking along with the, um, what the fuck, um, oh, Jesus Christ, uh, you know who I'm talking about, Spike, a Spike Lee with his dolly shot ripped off by Young Victoria. I've had enough. I'm oh. <laughs> That was the end of that. <laughs> Uh, that sounded like uh, I'm pretty sure that was scoring. God, I hope it was. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was too. It, it had a scoring, a scoring vibe to it. It uh, sounded like he'd just woken up. <laughs> yeah, it did. It's like yeah, he rolled over instead of hitting snooze. He hit uh, our number. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he's got us on speed dial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, sorry about that. Didn't mean to get my Australians mixed up. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. <laughs> Somewhere I'm a racist. All right. Here we go. Next, I don't. Was he talking about Young Victoria? There's a Spike Lee ripoff shot in there. I don't know. I haven't seen Young Victoria, so I don't know. So anything with Victorian in the title or anything like that, I just maybe Young Victoria is not even Victorian, but it sounds Victorian for some reason, and I hate Victorian films. Yeah, to no end. I mean, I really hate them. <laughs> yeah, Will's not the Victorian fan. Uh, he's told me that. He told me that was like one of the, one of the early things you told me. You didn't like those films. So oh, there's so much I'd rather watch. So I'd rather <laughs> honestly. Oh God. <laughs> But anyway. <laughs> to each their own. Yes. Uh, next voicemail. Check this one out. Hey, guys. What's up? It's uh, Andy from uh, Destroy the Brain. Anyway, I want to give you guys a call. I'm actually at Cinema Wasteland. It's close to 3 o'clock, so sorry if it gets loud here in a second. I'm about to walk in the lobby. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to thank you guys. Excuse me. Uh, I want to thank you guys for doing that Red Riding trilogy. Something I definitely want to check out, you know, especially after watching that first movie. And I wasn't a big fan of it. Um, but uh, you guys kept me a company on my flights to Cinema Wasteland. So, Jesus Christ, how out here? Oh, this is going to make a fucking great voicemail on it. Anyway, um, no, I really want to check out the uh, last two films of the Red Riding Trilogy. 
fucking excited to see uh, Patty Constantine uh, do his thing because, you know, like, uh, like a rat. And uh, <laughs> William said that, you know, you guys know that Constantine is pretty much badass in anything he does. And by the way, I just want to preference this. I've had a couple of drinks, so sorry if I sound loopy or drunk. Because <laughs> it's possible I am drunk. Anyway, uh, yeah. So pretty much uh, thank you guys for the episode. I love what you guys do. I haven't listened to a lot of GGTMC in a while, so it was really good hearing you guys' voices. Especially accompany me on my travels. So anyway, I love you guys. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. All right. Uh, obviously, Andy was slightly inebriated. <laughs> yes. When he called in there. It's good to hear from Andy. I haven't heard from him. I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh was hoping to meet him at uh, Whorehound again because that's the last time I met him at uh, Indianapolis Whorehound, but he couldn't make it this time. So maybe next time. But Andy is a gentleman of the highest order. Certainly is. Yeah, he's a nice guy. So very interesting that uh, <laughs> that uh, he sang my name, the Ricky Rye. <laughs> he's the original one man gang out of uh, the St. Louis doing the horror podcast. Yes, the one and only, the Treefy. All right, so Doc went to. Uh, we'll play this part of the feedback section. He went to the Dallas International Film Festival. I believe this is right, and I believe that's the title of it. And uh, saw some films. And uh, he gave us a couple of production pieces here to talk about what he covered. And uh, he kept them under three minutes. So let's listen to the first one. I think the second one comes along a little later, but listen to the first one now. Here we go. Hello, Sam. Hello, Rick. This is Dr. J. I've got three minutes to cover four movies. I'm just back from the Dallas International Film Festival first night. City of Life and Death by Lu Chuan. Historical drama set in the vein of Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Life is Beautiful, explaining just how horrible things were at the turn of the 20th century. Japan invades Nanking, China, and in six weeks, 300,000 people are murdered. Women are raped. Cities destroyed and plundered. And I think I saw every murder and every rape. Starts immediately with brutality and slowly introduces characters which adds some humanity to the story you don't really feel the brutality it hits you so fast until you start feeling the characters make or break scene what happens to mr tang's daughter most valuable thing was the black and white cinematography by Kao Yu. it made it feel like you were in that period grade for that one is an 8.5 i'm gonna have to pick up speed here skateland a dazed and confused type film on the end of childhood and the impact of what grief can do to who we become. It was dedicated to John Hughes and like him had real life characters. They didn't feel like cutouts. Make or break scene is the car chase beautifully shot and it's a complete change in tone. The most valuable thing is the production design. The sets, costume, makeup, music felt just like small town East Texas 1983 in every detail. Great as a 9.0 best film I've seen yet. Number three is Down 
Terrace, a British dark comedy about a dysfunctional small-time drug-dealing gangster family. Most valuable thing was the son, who was a mildly interesting character and rather well-acted. The make-or-break thing was the cinema verite style. Warts, moles, pimples, and close-up for two hours of boring movie. And my grade is a 5.0. Really not a great movie. And number four was The Loved Ones. The hell of a secret admirer. I think I dated this girl back in high school. It was dark, comic, <laughs> gory, misery meets hostile meets John Hughes. Most valuable thing was the cutaways to his friend's date. This almost broke it for me, as it seems so out of sorts, but it ties in well into the movie. Make or break scene was either the drill, the hammer, the final shot, just the brutality. It was really gory and fun that way. It teetered over the edge in the last ten minutes for me, got a little too slapstick, brought it down to an 8.5. And to finish up for for the gentleman, the <laughs> song keeps going through my head. Am I pretty enough? Anyway, I don't sing nearly as well as everyone else who called him. Have a great day. I'm out of time. <laughs> There's a little bit of promo. I love that he sped it up there toward the end. <laughs> just to get it in there. Just squeeze it in. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. The Skateland film I'm interested in because uh, I knew at some point in time there'd have to be some filmmaker that came along that would be uh, like John Hughes and actually pretty good. Uh, so, And I'm kind of interested in the whole motif of it and stuff. I, I want to check that out. But uh, The Loved Ones, of course, I am familiar with. And yes. uh, what was the other one you talked about that I wanted? To, oh, City of Life and Death. That's something you and him both have seen. I have not seen that. Yeah, I'm glad he got to see some stuff that not too many other people had seen yet and could comment on it. Yeah, I need to check that out. We'll check that out soon. All right, next voicemail. He'll have more uh, a little later here. Hang on. Uh, Next voicemail, here we go. Hi, this is Demise. Um, I just had to uh, pause the show and call right now. I know I'm going to end up calling back, but this Night Beast movie is exactly one that I saw in high school that I even posted on the forums. There's just a couple of movies I've seen in the past, and I just can't figure out what the hell they were. And this is one of them. <laughs> yeah. The only things I remember, and this is why I'm calling now, because I, I want to see how far... As soon as you guys said Afro McStash or whatever, I was like, oh my God, this is such a movie. Um, this movie completely freaked me out. Yeah, it was very gruesome. I remember it disturbing me a lot, but the only scene I actually remember is it taking out the kids in the station wagon or something. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, my God, those are little kids, and he just zapped them. And thinking about the sheriff Afro McStash, um, he falls down in a hole and he breaks like his femur or something, but he manages to climb out of the hole. And I think he has a sex scene after that. Yeah. So I'm really waiting to see if you guys bring that up. But it was just cracking me up. I'm like, wow, this sounds sounds kind of like that alien I remember in that movie that walking around with his little gun and and then Afro mixed dash or I don't even know what you said, but oh my god, that was so funny. So I'm so very very excited that this movie exists. I have to get a copy of it. I've told my kids about it over the years. And I just never knew what it was called. Just picked it up off a VHL shelf. You know, got to watch something this weekend kind of shelf. And uh, I'm so jazzed that somebody else saw it and is getting as big a kick out of it as I did. So, anyways, I'm going to turn the show on and finish listening to everything you guys have to say about it. I'm so very, very excited that you guys reviewed this movie. So, anyways, thanks, bye. Yeah, I think I called him uh, Per McMustache. Or something yes. like that. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Will wasn't part of that show, but uh yeah, that was a kind of a that was kind of a backup thing in case we couldn't do a show that week, but we went ahead and did it anyway because Night Beast is uh 
<laughs> vastly entertaining, to say the least. And hopefully very everybody true. enjoyed that bonus episode. I know Will did. Will told me he enjoyed it. So I was very jealous. I haven't seen the film and couldn't talk about it. It sounded it was an excellent episode. <laughs> yes. I don't usually listen to our episodes much, but I did listen back to that one just to listen to us uh, playing the love scene and commenting on the love scene as it was taking place. And we didn't do it justice. Trust me, that love scene is is hideous. <laughs> Top five worst all time. Easy. Uh, good stuff, though. All right, uh, next question. Here we go. Hi, Samias. Calling back about the Night Beast. Um, yep, definitely the movie. I loved your guys' take on it, your guys' opinion on, on this sexy, sexy sheriff man who... God, I think he even had kind of a nasally voice. I mean, he was just the nerdiest, <laughs> afroiest, non-sexy sheriff. Worst sex scenes. Um, there's so much in the movie I don't remember, though, and I'm very, very excited that it's on Netflix. I definitely will be trying to watch it here in the next 24 hours yeah. or less. Um, and I guess I was completely wrong about the femur. I could just could have sworn he fell in the hole. But remember, it was in the forest with trees. <laughs> oh, he fell in the hole, all right. He fell, and actually part of his bone was sticking out of his leg. <laughs> oh, yeah, part of his so, bone know, was sticking out, all right. Even if you'd been shot in the thigh, I think you'd, you'd have a heck of a time having sex in any amount of fun. Sure. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, when I get a chance to watch it, I might call again and just share some other thoughts. Um, if I had realized what movie this was, I probably would have begged you guys to let me be on the show and talk to you about it. Because it's just one of those movies where all you remember is these crazy, crazy things and thinking, what a ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous movie it was. Ridiculous is right. It sounds like it was the same for everybody as it was for me back in the day when I was a teenager. So, anyways, thanks again for a great show. And loved hearing Rupert on there. That was a really nice touch. And uh, Miles, too, of course. (laughs) There we go. I've never heard Rupert on a show before, so that was awesome. What? So, (laughs) bye-bye. Need to go back and listen to the Surviving Edge Weapon show. Yes. <laughs> Rupert's on there as well. Uh, yeah, and Demise, I mean, uh, Demise, you might not know, but uh, as men, you know, let's, let me just pontificate a little bit here about being a man. It takes a hell of a lot for me not to want to have sex. A uh, broken femur might do it, but if it's a Pat Benatar lookalike I'm looking, in front, looking at in front of me with blonde hair, I might suck it up and go a little... Uh, I don't know what the word is I'm going to say there. I was getting ready to say something really crass, and I'm glad I didn't say it. <laughs> I was getting ready to say something off the air. <laughs> but either way, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed the uh, bonus episode. A lot of people like the bonus episode. I'm glad. Uh, we, we try to put those out on occasion to give everybody a little bit more, you know, a little bit more GGTMC, even if it's just one of us. Still good, good for the old ears. Yes. All right. <laughs> Next voicemail. Hello, gentlemen. Yakuza Meshuga here. Uh, once again, I need to compliment you on the excellent job you're doing bringing such a wide and eclectic array of films to the attention of your audience, and especially those films that might initially intimidate and even scare them off. And occasionally, you review a film that manages to transcend the medium altogether elevating itself into a realm that can only be described as astonishing. I'm speaking, of course, of Night Beast. (laughs) Would I be incorrect describing this film as 
Kubrickian in scope and vision, <laughs> Fellini-esque in its execution and tone, <laughs> suggesting at times early Godard and Antonioni with flourishes of Hitchcock, Renoir, and holy fucking shit, gentlemen. Bravo, bravo, you've done it again. I got Sammy in particular this time, but wow. <laughs> Along with the stabilizer, you've given me something I feel compelled to grab everyone I know, seat them in front of the television, and tell them, no, really, you need to see this. You've got to see this. I try to think of particular scenes that especially stand out, but really, I don't know where to begin. It's pretty much gold all the way through. And you're right, Sammy, about that sex scene. Holy fucking shit! <laughs> if age hasn't made me impotent, that scene will. What an all-around classic. <laughs> it's really one of those films that must be seen to be believed. <laughs> well, I just wanted to put that out. And, God, um, I know I'm forgetting something. Oh, yes. Happy birthday to you. Nice. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Samurai. Oh! <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Yeah, I like that Yakuza's went from a guy that hardly ever wants to call to a guy that calls in and sings. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I it's appreciate because that. he loves the Sammy and wants to wish him a happy birthday. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, you know, so, and again, Will's going to get around to seeing Night Beast. I can't wait until he gets around to seeing it and hearing what he has to say, like you know what we've been watching type thing. Because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty positive he's going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I would say. I, I, in fact, I may track it down here soon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's going to enjoy it. All right, so in case some of you are wondering, uh, we got a lot of voicemail this week, and I want to add that uh, usually, you know, I, I don't play the ones that are over three minutes, but some people send in some longer ones. I'm going to go ahead and let it pass this week because, you know, we have been off for a couple weeks. But again, try to keep it under three minutes if you could, please, so I don't have to not play them. I hate to not play them because some of them are gold. This one runs a little bit over a minute past the barrier, so. But this is from good friend of the show, Doc Zom. So here we go. Gentlemen, um, just wanted to call. And I watched a movie the other night when we talk about uh, women actresses or men, depending on your persuasion, um, that were guilty pleasures. And I immediately always think of Jamie Lee Curtis as being, you know, uh, a pretty hot chick, especially after that goofy movie uh, Perfect with John Travolta, where she really showed that she had a really hot bod. And then she showed she had a really hot bod and a few other movies with some nice tatas and everything. <laughs> so when I started watching Blue Steel, I thought, you know, okay, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of uh, uh, not even a guilty pleasure because she's, you know, usually considered as being pretty hot. But then as I was watching the movie, I kind of was like, you know, I don't know, you know, she's she's kind of uh, horse faced horse face dish, thin-lipped, and a bit mannish. But she's got a kind of a hot bod. But see, in this movie, the reason that you didn't notice the hot bod as much 
is she had these really high-waisted mom jeans on that were like big back then, where they pulled the waist of the jeans all the way up to like underneath their boobs. Yeah. And um, no makeup. I mean, she was a female cop, but she, you know, she just did not look good. <laughs> it's like, Ugh. but. One person that really did tear up that movie was Ron Silver. And Ron Silver, weak chin and all, uh, (laughs) and with that scruffy beard, uh, he really turned it up a notch and he chewed it up big time. Yep. Uh, The scene where he is uh, on the peck deck working out like he (laughs) is, uh, you know, I don't know, having rough sex with somebody <laughs> when he's on the peck deck. If you've ever seen that movie, it's pretty hilarious. And also, you had the Kurgan in there. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't picking any boogers and putting them in Sean Penn's um, <laughs> you know, food, but he had a nice, bushy, curly head of hair, and he played a nice guy in this movie, which was a, which was a, uh, which was a welcome uh, you know, change, uh, seeing him playing the nice guy. And then you had a scene where the Kurgan and the mannish horse-faced woman were having sex, <laughs> and the Kurgan gets up, I guess, to go get the towel to wipe uh, the the pools of uh, yeah. stuff off. Okay. <laughs> and Ron Silver, you know, is hiding naked in the bathroom and <laughs> takes out the Kurgan. Yeah. And then he leaps through the air, like leaps on Jamie Lee Curtis, who is naked, and with no hands whatsoever, he 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 is thrusting like a wild dog, and she's fighting him <laughs> off, and we have like a rape scene. And then she gives him the Gracie jujitsu and throws him off, and I believe we get a little Ron Silver nut and ass shot. Oh. And as Jamie Lee slides out of bed, rolls out of bed, you get a little shot of the vajayjay. So anyway, uh, that was I haven't seen that movie. I've, I've seen The Box, and I've seen it on TV. And oh, you've times. seen The Box. Watched it, but I found it to be quite entertaining. And I just wanted to share that Blue Steel is over the top. It's kind of goofy in some parts, uh, you know. But, um, yeah, Ron Silver, Horse Face, and the Kurgan. And, oh, and with my last 15 seconds, Tom Sizemore was in that, too. Oh, yeah. All right, I'm out of here. I got to go cut some grass, daddy-o. <laughs> Bye. Got to cut some grass, daddy-o. That's Catherine Bigelow film. Uh, yes, I don't know if anybody's seen it or not. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Well, I like yes. the, I like the film actually. I've seen it. I always mix it up though with the um, the one I think Sigourney Weaver and Harry Connick Jr. did, oh. where there was a serial killer that oh, was like a copycat killer. Yes, yeah, it was called Copycat. Yeah, I always mix those two up. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why either. Because Copycat's uh, well, to me, Copycat's the inferior film. But yeah, no, Blue Steel is good. I remember. Uh, yeah, good. I mean, I haven't seen it in ages, but. Got that, he mentioned some of the more bizarre parts of it. It's actually pretty normal in other spots, but uh, pretty good stuff. Same writer and uh, director as uh, Near Dark. So Eric Red and uh, Catherine Bigelow did Near Dark together, and they also did Blue Steel together. So it's interesting. He mentions the whole thing about uh, Jamie Lee because if you look at her in like Halloween days, she was pretty and had kind of a fresh face and stuff. Mm-hmm. As she got older, and, and at the risk of sounding crass and shallow. I do think she was a little thin-lipped for my liking, uh, and not not as attractive. But she always did have a fantastic body. I got to give credit where it's due. Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, she's interesting. Uh, never mind. I'm not going to say anything. 
been a few deposits <laughs> to a certain bank for that one. <laughs> All right, uh, next voicemail. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sammy. Happy birthday to you. I would assume that was demise. It sounded like demise. So yes, so it sounded like so. Again, thank you for the birthday wishes, everybody. It's always and, good to get older. <laughs> and thank you for everyone that called in. Yeah. All right, uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Jens, it's Rupert. Um, digging the Kurosawa show. Um, Rick, you're, uh, and, but you both might be a little ahead of me as far as Kurosawa. I've seen quite a bit, but not everything. I have seen Akiru, uh, and uh, I, I have to agree with Will. I think my favorite is Rashomon. I'm a big, big Rashomon fan. Um, I want to show that to my son at some point, but I don't think he's ready to... Uh, he might be, actually. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, but, um, he might be. Anyway, uh, Redbeard keeps coming up. It's funny. Um, it's been in my consciousness for a long time because I remember hearing an interview with Wes Anderson where he was talking about getting Bill Murray on board for Rushmore and how they kept sending him tapes of Bottle Rocket, and I guess he didn't really want to see Bottle Rocket, but at some point he called up Wes and started talking to him about Redbeard. And at the time, Wes hadn't seen Redbeard, but they talked for a while about it, and I guess after that at the end of that conversation, Bill said he was going to do Rushmore, which I always thought was cool. I'm like, well, I got to see this movie that was partially the impetus for him being cast and doing Rushmore. Um, and then a friend of mine, you know, so that was years and years ago, and I'd just been meaning to see it, meaning to see it. And then a friend of mine saw it again about, or you mentioned it again about two a month ago, a month or so ago, and was saying, you know, got to see it. He, this is another friend of mine who. Um, is a big Ozu fan like I am. I kind of prefer Ozu to Kurosawa. I know that's blasphemous. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but he's just sort of my style. I see them as sort of like Hawks and Ford kind of parallel. I don't know if that's a fair criticism or not parallel to draw, but I feel like Ozu is more Hawks and Kurosawa is more Ford, and I've always been a, a Hawks guy myself. But, again, that parallel may be totally unfounded. Anyway, um... So I'm going to totally check out Redbeard now. I moved it up. Just come up too much. I need to see it. So uh, thanks, guys. Great show. Love it. Bye. Yeah, I talked to him the other day. He said he had uh, Redbeard on the way. It'd be interesting to hear what he thinks about that. It is a long film, though. Be prepared. It is almost three hours long, and it's really heavy on drama. So, uh, But there's some serious chin strokery going on in that movie. Uh, Mafuni strokes his beard like anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, he's always been a good chin stroker. Yeah, he has, man. But this this is amazing because he has this really full beard, you know, this real gigantic beard in the film. And uh, he's really stroking the fuck out of this thing. Wow, that sounds like a clip that Bill could take out. All right. Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, next voicemail. This is from uh, Coffin John. Now, he's got some things to say about the Kurosawa episode as well. So, uh, And it's a little bit of a long voicemail, but, uh, again, I'm going to play it. So here we go. Greetings, gentlemen. This is Coffin John from the V Cinema Podcast. I've written in a couple of times before, but wanted to leave some voicemail this time and would have used your regular voicemail service, but our podcast also uses that service, and we know sometimes how wonky it can be. Um, I wanted to commend you for your Kurosawa episode. I was always hoping that you guys would cover the director. 
He's one of my own personal favorites, and I take any chance I can to see him on the big screen. In fact, I saw the two movies that you covered, both High and Low and Drunken Angel, on the big screen just last month. I attended a uh, festival here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we were fortunate to have those two movies as being uh, two of the features out of many. I wanted to add in a couple of comments. I know both of you are very good at finding common themes between the two movies that you review. I think that one very common theme between High and Low and Drunken Angel is that of dichotomies. Uh, You pointed out that in High and Low, of course, even the title itself, there's that dichotomy of High and Low, Heaven and Hell, and there's Good and Bad. In Drunken Angel itself, there's the same sort of dichotomy. There's the good and bad of the Doctor and the Yakuza characters, who are essentially two sides of the same coin. And by that I mean, of course, Doctors being a benevolent folk. Matsunaga, the Doctor, played by Takashi Shimura, reveals himself to not be as pure of heart as one might think by being an alcoholic and frankly being rather hot-headed and sometimes violent even though it's toward a good cause. And of course Sanada, who's the Yakuza character, uh, played by Toshiro Mifune, he reveals himself to be at least somewhat good of heart and intention by trying to help himself by leaving the Yakuza Um, You two mentioned the uh, diseased pond in the middle of Tokyo, and I believe that Kurosawa had meant this to be a sort of allegory for the post-war environment, the pond being, you know, diseased and dirty and everything, representing both the possible fate of Japan as well as, and I hope this isn't too big of a spoiler, one of the characters in the movie. And I think that it says a lot that Kurosawa ends this movie with a glimmer of hope. Because hope is a very important theme in many of the films that Kurosawa directed right after the war, including, for example, One Wonderful Sunday and I Live in Fear. I think Kurosawa was trying to say, not just to Japanese, but to all people, that with a little hope and a dream and hard work and pride that we could rebuild and heal ourselves after that tragic war. So a couple of notes about high and low. I was hoping that you guys would bring up the ending scene in which, and I'll try to refer to this kind of obliquely, uh, a shutter falls down between two characters, thus ending the scene in the movie itself. Um, I thought this was a perfect ending for the movie. It was very ominous. And in the theater where I saw it last month, it was absolutely almost breathtaking just because of uh, how the lighting was in the theater. And I sort of wonder if Toby Hooper with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, as well as Jonathan Demme with Silence of the Lambs, didn't borrow from this particular scene because both of these directors also use slamming doors or shutters to eerie effect. Uh, A couple more things is that uh, you might not be surprised to know that High and Low was originally written by Ed McBain, Uh, Kurosawa adapted it from his story called The King's Ransom. Um, I haven't read that book myself, but uh, it sounds interesting. Uh, Another thing is that this movie was not filmed in Tokyo. Actually, it was filmed in Yokohama, 
And I say this because the hillside on which uh, Gondo's house is, is an area where I lived in myself when I was there. I actually lived at the base of the hill, so I guess you could say that I was in Jigoku. But uh, I also noticed a couple of scenes are shot in an area known as Yokohama Chinatown, which was uh, quite a delight to see. Anyway, those are all my notes for this episode. Again, thanks very much for covering these two films. I hope that you cover Kurosawa or, hey, how about some Ozu? That might be a shock to the gentlemanian system. <laughs> anyway, I apologize for going over the three-minute mark. Farewell. All right. That was Coffin John from the V-Cinema podcast. So, yeah, uh, well, people were questioning some Ozu there. Will, what do you think about maybe doing some Ozu sometime? I am absolutely in favor of it because, it's shamefully, I'm not that familiar with those who have seen maybe one film. I saw Tokyo Story. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything else by Ozu. I'd have to look at his filmography, and I know he is much, much loved and respected um, by serious, serious uh, film fans. So I, I'm all in favor of it. Yeah. Sounds good. We'll do it sometime. Uh, yeah, he brought up the ending shot in High and Low. We just didn't probably bring it up because it's just not what we do, but... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The uh, there is a lot being said about that last uh, that shutter. That's all I'll say. And he talked about the dichotomy. It's something that yeah, we didn't really, I guess, think of at the time. But uh, absolutely, it, it would make sense being a common thread between the two films. But yeah, that last scene, Sammy and High and Low. At first, I didn't like it, but then I kind of tossed it around in my head, and I liked it more as I thought about it. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, uh, next voicemail, and thanks, Coffin John. We appreciate it. And yes. uh, I'm very jealous that you could see Kurosawa on the big screen. That's uh, the benefit of living in San Francisco, I guess. All right, next voicemail. Hello, Rick and Will. This would happen to be Metal Mikey calling in with War, you know, the ever so effervescent host of Action Attraction. And I figured I'd leave in some feedback for medieval time. Uh, I, as per usual, I don't have much to say about the movies. I do mean to check out Massacre Time because I am indeed a big Fulci fan and it would be nice to see something that came from his directorial vision before, you know, like Rick said, he became Lucio Fulci in the late 70s and early 80s but I had to throw in a few other side notes that, you know, I deem as kind of amusing so hey, hey guys, hey for all you know, Poopy Poopo will be my first child's name. So Ooh, you, all your mockery, it seriously wounded me with my possible future parental choice. Poopy Poopo. What's wrong with that name? What are you talking about? And let it be publicly known right now, I am publicly begging and pleading with you both for a clip of that your theme. Just for my own personal listening choice. My God, I think my chest hair swelled to unimaginable lengths after hearing that. Uh, I will also mention that Show Kasugi in Pray for Death. You know what, people? He was Shredder before Eastman and Laird even thought of Shredder for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you know what? If Show Kasugi was even Shredder, we wouldn't have to worry about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Why? Because their asses would be grass is. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And oh boy, what would this message be without one little last bit here? So you requested it, William. And to you, Rick, him. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you, Rick. 
happy birthday to you. Hey, you didn't say it had to be good. It's still heartfelt and as twisted as anything that comes out of my mouth. Okay, you both take it easy, and I will talk to you again soon. Adios. All right, the one and only Metal Mikey there. <laughs> yes. A little bit of everything in that uh, singing there, a little black metal, a little, uh, little country, I think, maybe, a little in there, I don't know. Um, yeah, okay. Well, you know what I'll do? I'll play out, I think I'll play out the show today with the, uh, the Your Theme, just for Mikey, just because he requested it. And Mikey, I think we can send Mikey the theme song, can't we? Oh, yeah, I can send it to him. I can send yeah, it to him, so. no problem. Uh, I might do that, though. I might play it out the show. I'll probably play out the show with it. What the hell? It's a good song. It's a good, fun song. Uh, yeah, but is. it's weird that his chest hair would swell and grow to unimaginable lengths because uh, Red Brown's not really known for his chest hair. <laughs> or no yes. lack thereof. Yes, this is true, uh, <laughs> along with Miles O'Keefe and a few others, but it's the way it goes, I guess. But, yeah. All right. Next voicemail. Hey, gents. This is Phil. Welcome back, Will. And Sammy, what a fantastic uh, week that was last week uh, when you can review a film by Don Dohler and have an appreciation of Akira Kurosawa. Truly mind-boggling. Anyway, I'd like to add my two cents on the fantastic Don Dohler. Um, there's a guy in most, if not all, of Don Dohler's films. His name is George Stover. He had a bit part in Night Beast. In his other films, he has a more significant part, so he really wasn't his best in Night Beast. But his name is George Stover. He was the guy in Night Beast with the lab coat that walked around at the end there. I think he um, did something like electrocute the Night Beast. I think he was the one that uh, <laughs> you know, did that thing at the end of the film. Oh, I laugh at that. Spoiler, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But um, George Stover is a regular in, I think, all of Don Dover's films. They were best friends. And there's a website put out by George Stover uh, as a Don Dohler appreciation. And if you look it up, you can um, find some nice reminiscences about uh, the two of them. George Stover was the associate producer on most, if not all, of his films as well. Oh. Interesting note oh, about George Stover, Don Dohler connection, and Baltimore. I'm surprised it wasn't mentioned in your last show, but another prominent Baltimore director is, of course, John Waters. And I believe in 1980 it was, the follow-up to Pink Flamingos was a film by John Waters called Desperate Living. Hilarious film. I don't know if you've seen it, but I'm going to spoiler alert a scene, so I will count down three. All right, everybody that hasn't seen Desperate Living, go ahead a little bit more. And by the way, he can't. you can't possibly spoil Night Beast. It's not about the story. It's about the film itself, trust me. There's no story there. I told you, I spoiled the movie anyway when I did the review and I said it was Jaws, because that's what it is. It's a Jaws ripoff. Uh, okay, so... However, the monster looks like the inside of a Butterfinger bar. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he really does. All right, so... Uh, okay, so he's going to uh, maybe spoil a little bit of Desperate Living. So for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, shame on you, first of all. And second of all, uh, here we go. Two, one. Okay, here's the spoiler. In Desperate Living, George Stover plays two parts. He plays the wife of Mink Stoll, and if you've seen Desperate Living, he basically has this brief scene in the beginning where he and Mink Stoll have this rant. It's unbelievable. you got to see it to believe it. The dialogue is hilarious. He basically runs out of the house in a fit um, because he finds out his wife is, I think, cheating on him or something like that. And 
<clears throat> there's a great scene in Desperate Leading where he goes into the maid's purse looking around for some uh, stuff that she's been stealing from the house. The maid is played by a 300-pound black woman called Jean Hill. Mm -hmm. And this is the big spoiler. George Stover meets his demise by being sat on this 300-pound by this 300-pound woman. And that's his demise in the film. But later on, George Stover plays another interesting bit part. He plays the cop who has a panty fetish. And he <laughs> makes Divine take off her huge panties and puts them on in the woods and <laughs> proceeds to masturbate in front of Divine. Oh, nice. So, interesting little bit of information on George Stover and Don Dohler Baltimore Connection. Sounds like my biography. And Sammy, last but not least, <laughs> I'd like to mention and recommend a highly recommended documentary called Blood, Boobs, and yep. the Beast. It mm. is a trauma DVD, and it is a documentary <clears throat> on Don Dohler. And it's very good. Um, I think that's all I have to say. Yep. Guys, as always, I love your show. Even though I don't call in every week, I do listen every week. And take care. Bye-bye. All right. That was a great friend of the show, uh, Phil. Hadn't heard from Phil in a while, so it's good to hear from him again. Um, yeah, and I don't really think that Desperate Living actually thing was too much of a spoiler, actually. No, I don't think so. I think it's okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, good stuff, and uh, thanks. I, you know, this is Don Dohler. He's got a lot of fans, you know. I just added that uh, documentary to my um, Netflix. Somebody told me a while back it was on there. I just moved it to the top of my queue. I'll get around to watching that as soon as I get through uh, whatever they're sending me next, which I'm looking at right now. I'm trying to find out what they're sending me next, but I bet they're sending me the Blu-rays of Red Cliff 1 and 2 International. Oh, nice. <laughs> So didn't, I, didn't I uh, send you? Well, it's yeah, not Blu-ray, of yes, course, but yeah. I sent you Ridcliffe One, right? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, good. But you know, I gotta watch them on. Uh, you gotta watch them on Blu. I, I don't blame you one <laughs> bit, my friend. Uh, oh, they're sending me. Um, oh, sending me Iron Monkey. I haven't seen Iron Monkey in a while. I'll watch. Iron oh Monkey. man, I love, so good. I love Iron Monkey. Very good stuff. Love Iron Monkey. Oh, but thanks, Phil. Thanks for the uh, voicemail and stuff. It's outstanding. Uh, and yes, that, this is the kind of show GGTMC is. We can appreciate Kurosawa, and we can appreciate Don Dohler. <laughs> that's, but that, again, that's what we are. That's what we do. All right. Uh, next voice. Here we go. Hey, this is Phil again. FYI, Blood, Boobs, and Beast is available on Netflix. Yes. Check it out. Nice. Bye-bye. All right. <laughs> and you just heard me add that to my queue a minute ago. All right, next voicemail as we go into the hour and 20 mark, of, which is not bad considering this is two weeks of uh, uh, feedback here. Yes. All right, here we go. Hey, Big Willie and the Samurai. It's Tom DJ calling once again from uh, Better in the Dark Laboratory straight out of Brooklyn. I wanted to just uh, touch base with you for a second and thank you very much for that little mini appreciation of Akira Kurosawa, which was very informative. I particularly appreciate the fact that you chose to focus on High and Low, which is a film that I really, really, really like, although I was somewhat surprised that you didn't mention the most interesting thing about the film, which is that it is an adaptation of an Ed McBain 87 precinct novel of the same, I think, is it the same? No, called King's Ransom. All right. I'm gonna have to, we're gonna have to hand in our geek card because I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> so 
Uh, well, my apologies, Tom. <laughs> Hang on. Sorry, you're talking about the reference to the Ed McBain thing? Yeah, did you say something about that? Buddy, I, I, I could have swore. We've gotten all these voicemails mentioning Ed McBain. I could have swore I mentioned it because the ironic thing was, as much as I was familiar with Ed McBain, I was actually reading um, a short story Ed McBain did in a Hitchcock uh, compilation. Uh, and, and I thought I, I could have swore I said at the end of the episode... Uh, preceding the Chris Owl one that it's based loosely on an Ed McBain um, short story. So I could have swore to that, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know. I have to go back. I don't. For those of you behind the scenes, once we put the show out and once I do the editing and I have to listen to the show a bunch of times, stuff I don't listen to the show again. So not, not our show. I listen to other podcasts. So I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe I've totally forgotten. Who knows? But uh, if not, then I, I will clearly hang in my geek car because I totally forgot to mention any of that stuff. So. I'm a big, 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 big Ed McBain fan. Obviously. I think that <laughs> he teaches you more. He's taught me more about how to use a city as an actual character in, in a short story or a novel than any other writer. And I find it very funny that he has been very poorly used by um, television and film. Now, this was the second adaptation of a 87 Precinct novel the first one was a B movie, which called Cop Hater, which I have never seen, but I have seen all the other uh, 87 Precinct adaptations. And the odd thing is, is that High and Low is, even though it's not set in the fictitious city of Isola, where all the uh, Precinct novels are based, it is in fact probably the most faithful adaptation of McBain. Of all of them, with maybe the exception of the two Larry Cohen penned TV movies that NBC showed uh, back in the, I want to say the mid 90s, um, one of which was an adaptation of the novel Ice, and one of which was a kind of uh, cut and paste mosaic thing based on a subplot that had gone on through several of the novels. Um, but I hate. I know, you know, Burt Reynolds and, and Raquel Welch, you would think would be great, but I could not stand Fuzz. That, uh, that was based on an Ace Precinct novel and was made into a comedy. And I, the worst of the worst was that first NBC uh, television movie starring Randy Quaid as Steve Carella, <laughs> who is the main character in all these novels. The absolutely risible lightning. There is definitely... A great 87th Precinct novel, uh, movie to be made by someone out there. And I, until then, Kurosawa is pretty much the king. So, once again, thank you very much. I'm sorry if I rambled too long and maybe went over that three minute thing, but. Uh, you got under it. Um, once again, thanks a lot and have a great day, guys. Good old Tom, man. He got, he got right under that three minute mark. Yeah, he did. And it, kudos to him. Yes. Uh, yeah, I had to look into that. Uh, I mean, I, I, we, we, I, I, you might have said something, but I, I can't recall. It's been two weeks ago. I mean, you know, you're talking about a person who, you know, forgot what he ate <laughs> yesterday. So <laughs> as much of stuff as I know about movies, the other stuff I struggle, I struggle with. Oh, uh, that, that could only be at this time of the morning. That can only be one person Skyping me. I know who it is. And he's from the great <laughs> state of West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just reading what he had to say. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Always getting in on the show. If he doesn't have a voicemail, he finds a way to get in. 
right. <laughs> Next, uh, I like that he, I'll just say that he finished his Skype message with Hack Patui. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next voicemail. This is the second of Doc's uh, Fest reports. Hello, gentlemen. This is Dr. J calling in with another three-minute DIFF review, Dallas International Film Festival. Reading notes from my own ice cream notebook, I got to get to the <laughs> point. First movie I saw was Earthling. A sci-fi flick, an unidentified object in space, creates a magnetic anomaly that leads a small number of people to begin to awaken to the idea that they are not humans, but crash-landed aliens who want to go home, but don't want to give up their humanity. This tried to be smarter than it was. It had shades of Battlestar Galactica with the Cylons and shades of Slither with the Slugs, but no humor and no action. Most valuable thing was the cinematography, I guess. Um, it was blue filtered. I'm getting kind of tired of that, but it did give a kind of an unworldly cast to mundane surroundings. The make or break scene was a slug sliding pathetically away from a dying body, kind of symbolic of what the whole movie was like. And my grade for it was a 5.0. Next movie was Snow and Ashes, a Canadian film about a war correspondent returned from a unnamed war, likely Chechnyan war zone, comes back without his cameraman and with amnesia to what happened, but then slowly tries to pl put the pieces back together of what occurred. It was kind of clunkily paced. It was a good story, though, of PTSD and war correspondents rather than in soldiers, which was kind of a unique take. The MVT was the lead actor, Reese Cuero, who was in 24 in a big role. I like this actor a lot. The make-or-break scene was the end scene in a shed. Just what doesn't happen when he comes out of the shed leaves kind of an ambiguous ending that had me thinking about this movie for a long time afterwards and really brought it up in my, my mind. And I'll give this one a 6.75. And my last review is The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. I don't have to say much about this one. You've reviewed it on your show. It's a Korean Western and kind of like a Tarantino take with a new story, but a lot of obvious homage to older films. This was beautiful. This was exciting. Exciting. This was action-packed. The most valuable thing was Kang Ho Sung, who played the weird... I love this actor. I think he may be my favorite working actor, or one of them at least. The make-or-break scene was the train robbery to start it all, introducing oh, yeah. the characters, the beautiful visuals, the settings. It set the scene for the whole movie and had me going from the very first minutes, and my grade's a 9.0. Hopefully that'll give you a good wrap-up of what Diff was for me. Have a good day. Right, so there we go. I had a feeling he would like the good, the bad, the weird. Oh yeah, I had a feeling yeah. he'd like it. I think uh, that one he mentioned, Snow and Ashes. I'd I'd meant to see that. Uh, I had a keen eye on it because it was Canadian. It. I think I'll still check it out. Uh, at least it sounded like it was decent. It wasn't a complete mess. Yeah, I've been wanting to see it. I've seen some uh, trailers for it and stuff. It looks pretty good. Yeah, uh, six point seven five, still a good score in my opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, good. Uh, maybe good about the weird to finally come out on home video now, and people get to see it more. I think it just just recently got a theatrical release here in the states, probably in like Brutal. two cities. <laughs> Brutal. It's been done for two years. All right, actually, it's probably been done longer than that. All right, uh, two more voicemails to go. Here we go. One. Yeah, chance. Um, 
I like to think that I know my way around uh, um, the Django, Django films, but don't tell that to Alex Cox. Uh, so anyway, with Massacre Time, yesterday's actually recorded as uh, Django, uh, even though we've got like 50 to 60 other films that are regarded, but um, we're pretty good with Massacre Time. Because one, you've got Franco Nero, you know, he's acting like Django. He is actually called Django in the German version, although there are two English versions that exist, but Nero's both called Tom in both as he is in the Italian version. I don't know, Will, you were talking about um, print. So, yeah, the the actual, the standalone DVD version is almost unwatchable. You know, the print's so bad, but I, I came across one of those, like, 10 Westerns, uh, kept, so, whatever, for twelve ninety nine. The, I think it was the Spaghetti Western Bible Volume 2. Now, the print in that is just pretty much as close to pristine as you can get with still maintaining the grittiness of the film, so that's... Uh, Getting Western Bible too. Um, there's a couple of other ones in there, along with the other Django's. One of my favourites is actually Django the Bastard, and that's pretty cool. You know, Django's a ghost. It actually predates High Plains Drifter by about six years. Uh, there is actually another proper Django um, sequel, which actually stars Franco Nero, and it was filmed in 1987, and he actually does star as Django. Um, specifically, and he's got his coffin and he's got his Gatling gun, so that pretty much uh, wraps that one up. If you can catch any of them, you'll be hard-pressed uh, to find much better. All right, cheers. The uh, 1987 Django, did we talk about that before? I don't know that we did. We may have. I mean, we've talked about a lot of <laughs> Django. A lot of things, a lot of Django. I'm actually looking up Django the Bastard right now. I seem to remember that he did make a proper sequel to it, but... Oh, but yeah, I think maybe we did bring it up, actually. I but it, it was the one that almost looked like a sci-fi film, almost? I think we did. Actually, it does look like a sci-fi film. <laughs> you, oh, man, did you see the cover to that thing? <laughs> which, which one, the 87 one? I haven't seen the cover, no. Yeah, Django. Uh, look at the cover of that while you're looking at that there. Uh, okay, so we got one last voicemail. Thanks, Brian, for that. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't tell Alex Cox anything when it comes to Spaghetti Westerns. He definitely has, uh, he definitely has the authority when it comes to Spaghetti Westerns. So what's, sorry, Sammy, what's the name of that Django film? Uh, Django 2 Il Grande Ritorno. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I'm taking with one hand, holding my mic with the other. <laughs> Just to get, let everyone know how professional I am. Actually, we got you to- heard me let out like a, oh no, like during an earlier voicemail, it's because I spilled hot coffee on my lap. <laughs> um... Yeah, so uh, I didn't want to get oh, up and moonwalk, moonwalk around uh, on air, so I kind of held it together. Oh, wow. Post-apocalyptic much? Grace Jones in the fucking background? I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. We gotta get on. we got to get on this thing. I think we have talked about this before. Him and Donald Pleasance. Christopher Conley's in it, too. Oh, wow. El Diablo Orlowski is his name in the film. <laughs> so, you know, good stuff. All right. Uh, actually, we got two voicemails left. I found another one. Here we go. Hey guys, it's uh, Mike out of Florida. I was calling in with some feedback on the last few shows, I guess, because it's been a while since we had the feedback. But anyway, um, I love the Kurosawa show. I've never seen Drunken Angels, and I have to go and check that one out. Uh, just loved it. That was great. Um, the special show, you hit close to home with me, of course, being a horror host with Night Beast. You know, that's my kind of film, my kind of cheesy movie. Um, and it was weird because there was a real syn- synchris- uh, synchronicity there. Try saying that three times fast. Because um, I knew people in three of the movies that you guys talked about, which is really weird. In Night Beast, I actually happen to know the mayor, uh, Dick Dysel. He's actually a horror host, 
pretty famous horror host from uh, Washington, D.C., Calgary Duvall, back in the 70s and 80s, he did that. Uh, they just put out a great documentary about him called Every Other Day is Halloween that hmm. I suggest people check out. That's a really entertaining uh, documentary and uh, will make you nostalgic for something you might not even know who he is. It will still make you nostalgic for uh, the days of local television, really. Um, also, you guys talked about why Norsky's Return to Swamp thing. Uh, I know Daniel Emery Taylor who played the little red-headed chubby kid in that movie. <laughs> um, he's, he like married a high school friend of mine, so that was kind of a weird... Wow. coincidence, and uh, we've done stuff with him in the past screenings and stuff like that. And then finally, one of my all-time favorites, close and near and dear to my heart, Troll 2. Uh, two years ago, we did a screening of Troll 2 with George Hardy. Uh, he plays the dad of that film. He's a terrible actor, but a great guy. What a, a sweetheart of a guy. So it was really weird. It's kind of, you know, I just felt like you guys were really right up my alley that uh, that particular show. I uh, just wanted to let everybody know also, uh, again, I am here being the douchebag plugging stuff, but uh, uh, this Saturday night, um, my show, Nightmare Theater, we're actually doing Night of the Living Dead reanimated. And what that is is a bunch of animators have taken Night of the Living Dead, uh, each animated this segment, and they put it all together as one movie. Uh, it's coming out on DVD soon, but we're actually doing it ahead of that. Uh, and you can watch that at Nightmare Theater, uh, on Nightmare Theater, the show at... Uh, WWF.org. The live stream starts at 10 Central on Saturday night. Uh, I think we're also going to be putting it up at nightmaretheater.blip.tv this weekend in case people can't watch the stream. Nice. And of course, if anybody's local in my area, which I don't know if that's you know if that's possible or whatever, but if they are, they can always watch TV as well. So, uh, well, uh, keep up the great work, guys. Glad Will's back from vacation. Hope you had a good time, and I'll uh, talk to you guys soon. Bye. All right, that is Mike. He is the uh, host of, what did you say, Nightmare? Is it called Nightmare TV? Nightmare Theater, I Night, believe. Yeah, yeah. I watched an episode of it uh, recently. Mike's got a, he's got a, he's more comfortable in front of a camera than I could be. I can tell you that right now. It's very cool stuff. And a few things. Thank you, Mike. I did have a great time on my trip. Uh, Mike, I don't know if we've mentioned it on air yet. Mike, beyond being a great television personality and host, uh, is also uh, a fantastic artist because he designed... An, uh, an incredibly cool t-shirt for the GGTMC that, that just nails it. And it's got Silva on the front holding a gun. Um, and when we get to printing t-shirts and the wheels are starting to move on that, that will be one of the t-shirts we offer, certainly. So Nice. Uh, it's very cool. I think it's on our Facebook group. It might be. If not, there's a thread on the boards about it. Uh, and, and, Mike, don't ever apologize for plugging your shit on the show because yep. it'd be one thing if you just you didn't call and talk about our stuff and just plugged your shit, but... We want our friends to plug their shit because we want everyone's creative endeavors to get pushed through our show and vice versa. So yes, never apologize for that. Never. All right. Uh, good to hear from you again, Mike. Nice. Next voice. Actually, the last voicemail for this epic voicemail section. Here we go. The best part of Deadly Prey was when he picked up the worm, spit it in his hand, and stroked it like he was given a great hand job. <laughs> All right. What a way to close off the uh, voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes uh, what a way to close it out alright well if you want to go over our pleasantries and whatnot, and then we'll talk about what we're covering next week <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, before we get into that I just want to confirm uh, one thing um, Doc, Bug and uh, that's Lightning Bug of course Doc, Bug and Brian reconfirm what I'm covering for you uh, for the next few weeks so I can get them done uh, so, as always, check out our sister shows, OTC, CD, and Show Show. Check out Family Movie Night, Movie Meltdown, Chin Circle vs. Punter, 
all of the pop syndicate shows. Check out our good friends on the other side of the earth, uh, Paleo Cinema with Terry, uh, who just did his 50th episode. Uh, write him an email congratulating him. Cinecultania with uh, Ben and Alex, or, or Cine, Cine Haneke. Yes, uh, Cult Haneke. Yes, yeah, Cult Haneke. Something like that. Uh, uh, <laughs> great show. I just finally got around listening to their episode. They did, um, gosh, they had a, a, a friend on. What did they just talk about? I listened to it a few days ago. I don't know. There's a new episode done that uh, I haven't listened to because I know I got a voicemail on it, and uh, I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, I listened to their body melt episode. It was pretty fantastic. Oh yeah, that, that episode is really good. Yeah, yeah. Alex was just repulsed by the, all the melting. It was yes. just, <laughs> body it was melt good. and uh, street trash. Street they did. trash. Yeah, <laughs> that was a really good one. Uh, Action attraction, of course, with the metal one, whose yeah. chest hairs are still thick and voluminous as ever, like Iron Mike Sharp. Yeah, they're going to be even more thick toward the end here. Yes. Uh, Better in the Dark, of course, straight out of Brooklyn. V Cinema Podcast, Destroy the Brain. Um, and what, what's Dangerous Jamie's podcast? The Gore Press Gorecast. The Gore Press Gorecast. I don't have a pen in front of me. Yeah, I him and uh, I believe her name is Sarah. I think it's her name. Uh, God, I hope I'm getting that right. Man, my memory's not that good. Either way, it's a, it's a pretty good show. Uh, I've listened to – I haven't listened to the newest episode, but I've listened to the other episodes. I, I like it. It's good stuff. I have to check it out. I keep meaning to. I just get so swamped at work. And Got those people there speaking from Manchester. Nice. Love. The Manx. <laughs> I say love. I think I say love. <laughs> love. I love. I don't know. <laughs> get stuffed. <laughs> get stuffed when in doubt. Uh, <laughs> check out, of course, our favorite duo that runs a magazine, Dylan and Christine. Yes. Paracinema.net. Paratees. They have a wonderful Warriors-inspired uh, T-shirt. Yes. Uh, with Luther on the front. No, it was Luther or Cyrus. I can't remember if Cyrus is on there. I think Cyrus, there. Cyrus is on there. Yeah, a bunch of them are on there, Cyrus. but I believe Cyrus is on there, too. Yeah, of course. Um, again, nightmaretheater.blip.tv. See, Mike, don't feel like a douchebag. We're going to rep for you, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, horrorcommentary.com. I source cinema if you're here in Toronto. Uh, Mike Malloy at subgenre.gmail.com at gmail, at gmail.com if you want to help him get the, get the wheels turning on the documentary. Uh, blogs. Pick a loaf. Lightning Bugs Lair, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris. I was going to say Matt Suzaki ate my baby. Chuck Norris <laughs> ate my baby. It's a possibility. Death, <laughs> Death Rattle 13, uh, Naked Eskimo, This Is Quiet Cool, Heavens with a Z, Heavens Trash, uh, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Uncool Cat, and Rach, R-A-C-H, Media Opinions. Uh, and in closing here, of course, Cinema-DE-Bazaar, promo code GENTLEMEN for 10% off your already uh, low, low prices. Vote for us on Podcast Alley. We've stormed up the charts. Uh, they still will not remove the fucking dual listings. Yes. Uh, iTunes reviews are always uh, much loved. Friends us both on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. You'll always find trailers and posters up there. Follow Sammy on Twitter. Uh, that's twitter.com backslash ggtmc. And we have a donate button if you feel inclined to do so. That is on our homepage. Yes, we do. Um, and by the way, Matsuzaka would not eat your baby, but it is possible he would eat your baby batter. Or my baby arm. Uh, ooh, whoa. Hey, uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right, so um, that is the show. That is our pleasantries. Uh, so we're going to talk about what we're going to cover next week. I have decided it's time that we delve into the world of one of the great genre auteurs, not auteur so much, but one of the great genre directors, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm being kind of facetious here. Uh, one Serio H. Santiago, 
Yeah. And the film is 1983's post-apocalyptic Striker. <laughs> so very nice. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to cover a little uh, post-apocalyptic <laughs> silliness. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to watch this one. And talk about it. So. Well, you know uh, that's that's going to be it's going to be a great show because this is something that's on my next roadmap, not this roadmap. Um, I just feel like we've been missing a little bit of soul in our episodes, a little All bit right. of a funk. Oh, nice. So I think I'm going to take it back to 1972. A little bit of Thalmus Rasulala. Oh, nice. <laughs> a little bit of Pam Greer with with uh, <laughs> a diamond heist movie, Cool Breeze. Ah, sweet. Sweet. I haven't ever seen that. I want to see that. So Me neither. I've been saving it just for the show. Sweet. I can't wait to watch that. And the, the, we do have the funk on this show because I decided I probably need to put some pants on. This leather chair is now wet. Nice. <laughs> Velveeta smelling, too. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, that is our show for this week. Uh, long feedback. But, hey, you didn't get feedback the week before. That's the way it goes. Uh, we're going to play out with a request this week for one uh, Metal Mikey. Uh, Will, take yourself a break. Get yourself some dry pants on. And, yes. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back next week. So I think that's it. Oh, do we want to mention the special announcements or anything? Are we? Uh, we... I was going to actually mention them in the front end just in oh, case anyone we'll mention all the, front end. the feedback. All right. It's <laughs> yes, okay. All right. So we'll mention all this stuff in the beginning. If you made it this far, thank you very much. All right. Uh, that's it. So adios. Adios. Yeah.